Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show. Today we have an exclusive interview with now former ESPN host, Sage Steele, and I am so excited for this conversation. Sage is finally able to speak out after settling her lawsuit against ESPN and Disney, who Sage alleged retaliated against her after she mildly criticized the Disney vaccine mandate and shared her opinion on what it's like to be biracial in America. ESPN, a company that allows its anchors all the time to engage in political speech supportive of leftist causes, decided to single out this one host, condemning her comments, forcing her to apologize, and then punishing her anyway by taking away her on-air assignments. Well, she wasn't going to take it sitting down. She sued. The case was settled this week, and Sage Steele, now a free agent, joins me today. Sage, thank you so much for being here. How are you? Uh, Hi, Megan. I am so honored to be here with you of all people. So thank you for having me. How am I? That's a great question. It depends on like the day, the minute, the second. I've kind of been all over the place, um, but I I know I'm going to be good. I just I just know I'm going to be okay. Yes. And I think it takes a while, you know, after a separation from a company like that you've been with forever. It takes a while for it to settle in and you to realize like, I'm good. I'm okay. I'm, I'm going to be even better. Yes. And that's the other reason why I um, have so admired you because you've been there. You've been through it all good, bad, ugly, ups and downs. And, and this is, this is the first time I've, I've ever been like, you know, separated from a company and um, in this way, obviously. And I was always such a goody two shoes and let's not ruffle any feathers. And apparently that's changed, but I I really, um, I don't know. I I just feel overwhelmed with every single emotion. And what I'm trying to do is be okay with that emotion and not try to fix it and run away from it, which I tend to do. Um, so I'm all in here. I just, yeah. even when you know what's coming, cause I did, obviously once you, once you file a lawsuit, you know, it's going to end probably sooner than you were originally planning when my contract was up. Um, but even when you're prepared, it's still like, Oh, it's over 16 and a half years. It's over. Yeah. Right. And and then you worry what's over my relationship with ESPN or my career. Yeah. Right. Um, although I've known deep down that even though I didn't know what was going to come next, I still don't know what's going to come next. I have no idea. You said free agent, by the way, good sports terminology there because <laughs> I, I'm, a free agent. I'm really impressed you're getting there. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I don't have any idea what's next. I have some ideas of what I might want, but I'm not there because I've I've needed to focus on my job up until the very last day. And I loved focusing on my job till the very last day. That's the weird part is letting go of that passion for what you do because I loved my job on SportsCenter every single day. But I, I know that there will be something. I've worked too hard for 28 years now to finish like this. There's there's mm-hmm. something coming. We'll, we'll figure it out, you know. Yeah, no, the career's not not over, but the finishing at ESPN, th- this is a good finish. I feel like, especially now. Hello, you did not tell me about the NFL films thing on your family and your dad. I only watched that in preparation for today. You 
this is the perfect finish for Sage Steele's time at ESPN. You're going out Khaleesi style in a blaze <laughs> of glory. You I mean, now I know you a little personally prior to this, but I did not know your family backstory. It's all coming together for me. So before we get to the controversy and all the lawsuit, the big let's just do some background because it's amazing the family you come from. My God. Um, all right. So you grew up a military brat, as they say. And uh, just give us a little bit of detail on your family. Yeah, this is when I smile the most because I, I have the best family, Megan. I am beyond blessed. And I, I um, yeah, I grew up as a really proud army brat. And by the time I was 11 years old, I'd lived in four different countries. And um, I used to have to, my parents would quiz, okay, where did we begin? Let's go through the order of the countries and the states that we lived in, because it was hard to keep track of, oh, hi, there we are. Um, I'm the oldest of three. Um, and that's in Belgium. We lived there from 1981 to 84. And how about that? We would just go to random castles for our Christmas pictures. You know, I, I mean, Megan, I I was in my like, Girl Scout troop. We would go to Paris for the day. Uh, recently, I was in for the day. And I would complain. I'd be like, do we have to go to Paris again? This is so annoying. All the American family who would come over, they always want to go to freaking Paris. Now I'm like, hi, can I go to Paris and shop? I haven't been since. Um, we lived in Greece from 1979 to 81. I was just back there about a week and a half ago. Hadn't been back in 42 years. My parents hadn't been back. And my dad has some health issues. And I was, I've been working for three and a half years to get back to Greece, to go to our little apartment in Glyphata outside of Athens and go back to these amazing places that I didn't understand were amazing because it was just my life. And now I'm like, look where I got to live and look at the diversity and the different cultures and people. What an awesome upbringing. I, I just, I never had a home. Um, and so I've never had a place to take my kids home to, to say, look, that's where I, that's where I went to elementary school. That's where I played softball. Um, I've, I've never been able to do that because it's been all over the world. So, um, the key through that is that with all the moving and all the change, and there's a lot of adversity that comes with that. Not only did I toughen up before I knew I was getting tough and preparing me probably for the crazy industry that you and I are in, but it just made our family unit like this. And, um, that's, the only reason why I know that I'm standing right now after the last couple of years is because of my family. And um, I think the military quite often can do that and um, bring you together because of so much change. You don't have consistent friendships or neighbors or anything. It's just you and the Steele family. We're strong. You know, reading up on you, it, it seems to me growing up in a military family is similar to growing up in a in a family of faith. And oftentimes the two, you know, coalesce and are both present. But, you know, what what does uh, being a faithful person mean? It means you pass on a set of values to your children, a set of ethics, shared values that are reinforced every Sunday or, you know, when you read the Bible, whatever it is, it's a it's a moral code that is passed on from parent to child with the help of a community. And it seems to me, at least in your case, being in the military, a military family was very similar and in particular, you and your brothers in the NFL film and your dad talking about the the cadet prayer, which yeah. I confess I had never heard, um, not from a military family, but I love it. And I want to put it on my wall and start teaching it to my kids right now. Could you could you talk about the cadet prayer? Do you want me to recite it? Could you do you, <laughs> do you I mean, I think you you know it, but yes. Oh, I was forced. Let me tell you, between the cadet prayer and Saturday morning inspections at our 
our house growing up to check our bedrooms. And my dad would pull out and open the underwear drawer. Like there were rules, Megan. And for every infraction, wow. we had to do 10 push-ups. So I was like Jack from a young age because I always had all these infractions and I didn't have my room perfectly done, um, which I love. And I tried to do it to my kids and it didn't work as well as when my colonel dad came knocking on my door. I don't have that kind of power apparently. Um, this prayer has saved me. It has driven me. It has um, uplifted me. It has helped me make some of the toughest decisions in my life, including recently with work. And I hope I get it right because I know my dad's watching. My parents watch it every day. Um, mm. Help me to choose the harder right instead of the easier wrong and to never tell a half truth when the whole can be won. Mm. And when you think about that, the harder right versus the easier wrong. I mean, I, I always say this. I, whenever I speak or recite it to someone who might be inquiring about it, I, I give like the grocery cart analogy, like, okay, when my kids were little and I live in Connecticut and it's cold and rainy and I have 15 grocery bags and I have to get to an appointment. And what do you want to do with that cart when you're done? I'd like to shove yeah. it on the curb. I'm in a rush and it's all about me. Right. Okay, fine. What's the right thing? Is it, is it right to leave it there for some young kid to come out in the snow and get it? No, put the damn cart away. Like yes. it's so basic, but it also goes along really well with you know, um, tough decisions that you have to make personally or professionally, that prayer has done so much. And, and also the, the back part of it, Megan, and this is just actually what I recited is the middle kind of snippet of it, the most important part in my dad's mind, which is why he wanted us to memorize it, but to never tell a half truth when the whole can be won. That's something I'm really looking forward to doing. I've never been able to do that in my life, to be able to tell the whole truth and not tiptoe around. Um, it can be scary, but it is the harder right. And once mm. you accept it, once we're honest with what the right, because I believe we all usually know, like deep down, we might not want to think about what's right, but we know it's just easier too when you can think of it that way, at least for me, it's, it's really saved me. I feel like it's what you were flirting with in the interview with Jay Cutler on his podcast. <laughs> that got you yeah. in trouble with ESPN. You were kind of flirting with, I know what the truth is here. I know that they shouldn't have forced us to get these shots in our arms. And it was the mildest criticism, but you know, we'll get to that in a minute. But yeah, you flirted with it. And I think once you go into your next chapter of fully embracing it, you're gonna be happier than you've ever been. All right, put a pin in that for now. Let's go back to mom and dad, uh, Mona and Gary. Now, yes. so your your mom is white and your dad is black, and this and they got married at a time when that was still somewhat controversial in some circles, including in your mom's family. The NFL Films uh, crew zeroed in on on a bit of this and what what happened there. Here's a clip uh, to get the audience a flavor. We ended up getting married at West Point. We were young and very naive. My parents um, pretty much disowned me and didn't come to the wedding or anything like that. Mom and dad won't talk to her because she married a black man. They were in Panama and she called her mom to say, I'm gonna have a baby and her mom hung up the phone. Because of my parents and all, I didn't count on other people. It was just, I knew I could count on Gary. There were many things that were said about what a relationship with a black husband would be and how you would end up being treated, etc. And so how are her parents going to know she's okay? 
So I believe it was once a month. Once a month. And once a month, I would pen a letter. Here's where we are, here's what's going on, here's what we're doing together. Never received a return letter. He'd say, they need to know you're okay. All right. It was the right thing to do. Yeah. It was to prove a point. You know, I am taking good care of this young woman. I am doing the right thing. Mm. That's, that's what you come from. That kind of strength. That kind of love, right? The, the romance between your parents. What a gift that is to you and your brothers, too. What do you feel when you look at that clip? Um, look at you. You did it, Megan. <laughs> I have a, I have watched that probably 30 times. And every time this is what happens. Um, the most incredible part is that I didn't know that story. I, my parents had never told me that story. They were busy wow. parenting and supporting us kids. And so I'm so grateful to NFL Films for um, pulling that story out of my parents and having it documented in such a way that long after I'm gone, my great-grandkids will see what their great-great-grandparents did, the decision they made. Um, that's the only reason why any of us are here. And my dad has done so many incredible things as, a, as the first Black man ever to play varsity football at Army, breaking the color barrier. Um, so many things that he pushed through as an army brat himself. His father was a Buffalo soldier, like incredible things. And, and he's my guy. And my mom, I say quite often, I believe she is even stronger because I cannot imagine having the parents that I had and the support that I still have to be forced to make that kind of a decision between the man you love and your family. In 1970-71, coming off the civil rights era, um, when it wasn't popular, period. But to have to choose between your, your your parents and the man you love, and she did it. And what if she hadn't? What if? I mean, obviously, I wouldn't be here, but like an entire generation is different because of my mom's courage. And my dad, like, he is a real man. And I believe there's not many. It's not that there's not many. I'm sorry. It's just times have changed. And for my dad to be that kind of a man, to make sure her parents knew he had her back and that he was taking care of her. Um, that is the ultimate love story. And, and what they have been through has reminded me that what I'm going through or have been through is like cake. Um, what they did is so much harder and so much more important. So that's one of the reasons why I know I'm okay, because what they did is 10 times harder. And they're the reason they're my why they're the reason why um, I have stood up and kept fighting because it's the right thing, just like they did in 1970. Mm. Did, did your grandparents ever come back into your life? I mean, did they did they ever reconcile? Yeah, they did. It took six or seven years, and it was um, initiated by my aunt Margie, who um, is my mom's youngest of the of the four. I guess she's third of the four siblings. My mom's the oldest, and all the siblings were supportive. It was just the mom and dad, and they did come back. Um, you know, a lot of damage was done. And unfortunately, selfishly for me and my brothers, um, you know, we lived all over the world and in different countries and states. And so we were never able to establish that relationship with them because of the logistics. Um, and you know what? I have fond memories of them and they loved me. And I know now, and my grandmother um, is Italian, was Italian. Her name, Megan, was Philomena Lena Di Portola. 
So she's oh, wow. a little Italian. And my grandfather is a William Edward O'Neill, a little Irish. So my mother, like, get out of the way. She's almost 73 and she will take you out and everybody else. So when I get fiery, I'm like, that. there you go. Yes, it, they, I can relate to this. I too am the product of a half half Italian, half, half Irish family. A lot of fire, a lot of We fire. can't help it. Tempers. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that, okay, that that's good. There was a reconciliation. I remember your dad talked about it a little bit in the film and like how he, he made clear to his in-laws you know, I'm never going to forget what happened over these six years, but we can consider this day one and go forward. I mean, his strength is extraordinary. You talk about him being um, just as you put it, it was, he was the first black player at Army or at West Point. I want to make sure I get it correct. Yes. First black to play varsity football ever at West Point. And it's so crazy because when you look at football teams now and how they're made up racially, you know, I think there's a picture in that NFL films piece of his entire army football team, probably in 1967. And he's pretty easy to spot the yeah, one black right. face um, of the entire football team. And in that, in that little, you know, black and white photo that's on that piece. Um, yeah, he, he did it, but you know what he says? And he said in the piece too, he's like, I just wanted to play football. You know, this wasn't about race. He said, somebody had to be the first and it happened to be me. Mm -hmm. And he has handled it so beautifully. Um, and he's a member of the Army Sports Hall of Fame. He was actually drafted in, in the NFL, which, you know, back then, like cadets in any service academy were never allowed to go play professionally. You had to serve your five years. Um, and now they get pardoned in there. They're able to do so more often if they're at a very top level. But that wasn't heard of. And the Detroit Lions still drafted him in the 17th round. Um, so I'm just super proud of my dad. And that's where I got my love of sports is from him. Yes. So this is like all this makes sense. Your love of sports, your love of country, your attitude toward, you know, today's obsession with race that's taken over the country, which we can get to in a bit. But all of this, your background really sets up the sage deal that I know and that we've all been watching for the past couple of years and how you've been you've gone against the grain on some dicey issues and uh, someone tried to punish you for it and you didn't take it lying down. I love the love, love, love the whole background. I want to know Mona. I want to know Gary. I, I, I can't skip the past the background without talking about this moment, though, Sage. I have to tell you, as somebody who lost her dad to a heart attack when I was only 15, he was only 45. I too cried when I watched the NFL films because of the closeness that you have, the relationship you have with him. And you, you, they talked about in the film, and you did as well, when your dad got cancer and went through some significant health issues, two vertebrae removed and, you know, just kept fighting through it. And there's a beautiful clip of you talking about that in the film, watch. He is a prostate cancer survivor and is currently battling multiple myeloma. It's hard to see your hero, you know, hurting. He wanted to be the first person to ever give me flowers. So I turned 16 and roses were delivered to the door and it was my dad. He's my guy, still is, you know? I mean, no one takes the place of your dad, right? <laughs> he's our rock. Everything that he's gone through we all get together and he's thanking us for being there. They took out two vertebrae. C6 and C7. A tumor the size of a... A, a little bit bigger than a golf ball. Yeah. The back. We won't show you the scars, although it's kind of cool. Let me know if you want to see them. It's like, I didn't know if I was going to make it to 71. I just want to be around you guys. I just want to live. Okay. So I can't, right? It says so, like... 
He wanted to be the first to give me flowers. That is the sweetest thing I have ever heard. I've got to talk to Doug today. He's got to be the first to give Yardley flowers. <laughs> we got to keep that rolling in our own family. Yeah. And I, how is he? That's what, I mean, that was my number one thing. How's he doing? Oh, it's been a tough couple of weeks. Um, he, he still, first of all, has prostate cancer, which he had the robotic surgery to remove the prostate in 2011. Uh, and then it was gone. And then two years later, it came back and it metastasized and it's in his lower spine. It has behaved lately. I talked to that prostate cancer a lot and I'm like, you stay in your lane. And so that has been dormant. Um, the multiple myeloma happened in 2017. And, um, you know, he just turned 77 in June. His spirits are incredible. I just told you about our trip to Greece and I've been planning it since 2020. And then the damn pandemic got in the way and some of his health issues. And I was determined to make this happen. Um, it was a 15 day trip scheduled with, with me and my mom, my three kids, and some dear friends of, of ours from here in Connecticut who are actually from Greece. And we, and, and we had to cut it short. Um, I had to come home, bring my mom and dad home after eight days. Um, there's just a lot of effects. Multiple myeloma is, is a blood cancer, but, but it affects your bones and it has just taken quite a toll. Um, I, I, I've never seen him in, uh, as bad a shape and as much pain as he was in, in Greece a week ago. Um, but it was, it, uh, it, it was, a um, it was a moment because I saw him in pain and he was so happy. Um, he was, he still speaks Greek fluently. It's in, <clears throat> excuse me, a drink. It's incredible, but he was so happy. And I was like, we're going to stay. And then I realized he was in such pain and he was pushing through for me. Mm. So I, you know, took over as the little girl and I'm like, dad, we got to go. And, um, I got them the next day, kind of an emergency trip back to get to, to Johns Hopkins where he's been treated for the last 12 years for all of his cancers. And I, you know, Santorini to Athens to JFK to five hours to Baltimore and Friday traffic to the hospital and my poor mother. And, and I did it. I left my kids in Greece, which was insane, but we have dear friends and they partied in Mykonos without me. I still, they're not telling me what happened, but they're alive. So I guess it's. <laughs> and they're, they're uh, a little older. They're like 19, 20, like yeah, 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 That's true. Let me clarify. <laughs> um, 17, 19 and 21. And I know there's no drinking age in Greece, so whatever. Um, but I will tell you, my dad uh, told me yesterday, um, thank you for you know, doing the right thing, <laughs> the harder right in that moment when I wanted him to continue to enjoy, because I don't know how many more trips like this are left, frankly, just because of the difficulty it is to travel. And by the way, he's shrunk about three inches. He's still six, three, six, four. He's a massive. Oh, that, that picture man. of him, the Colonel, they call him the Colonel. I know you're, you're his, his grandkids call him the Colonel. He's towering yeah. in those West Point photos. I mean, it, it seems hard to believe when you see somebody that strong, both physically and mentally and emotionally, you know, start to hurt, start to suffer, that it's yeah. the same person. But he he seems like such a dignified, strong guy, Sage. I, I hope you would I love him. him. You would love him. I and hope I hope I you to meet him. Too, but I, I got them. I got them to Greece. We did the most important thing. We got to that little apartment. We got to go to the bakery oh. around the corner where I grew up going to get warm bread every day. And my parents got to go back to when it was such a beautiful, innocent time. And I'm so grateful. So it's like one of those things. It was a, it was an amazing trip and all the hard work that you and I do to support our families and to be able to have experiences that those eight days were worth 
everything, all the pain and the ups and downs, because I got to, I, as a daughter, got to, got to give them that. Mm -hmm. uh, this makes me want to take my mom back to Syracuse, New York, where we'll freeze our asses off, including in June. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll have a trip too. <laughs> She'll go around yelling at everybody and I'll yell at her. Then we'll do it the Italian way. Um, okay. So I, the whole story has got me like, I, honestly, I'm already, we're, we're both already in tears. So that's that Disaster. portion of our interview, I think is over. Um, and we'll move <laughs> forward to what happens next for a young stage seal. So you decide to go into reporting and you wound up going to high school in Indiana. And, and now we understand why sports, sports is in your blood, sports is in your family. Cause you know, I always wonder what makes a young woman choose sports reporting over news reporting. And I will confess, I think too many of them are like, I want to be the hot girl on the sideline. Uh, forgive me. That's what I think. Not you, I love you. not Sage Steele. Right. I mean, like that's, mm. <laughs> um, so you actually knew about sports and you wanted to report on them. You go, your career starts taking off local news at first. And then 2007 comes the dream job, right? I mean, when ESPN comes calling, that's got to be the dream job, especially in 2007. I had been talking about ESPN since I was in high school. I, I was 11 when I announced I was going to be a sportscaster. I was 11 years old. I knew. I was watching the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles, and I, I was so in awe of these athletes. And as an athlete myself, not a great one, I tried. Um, but I, you know, I ran track and field, and I did the equestrian thing. But I remember being in the starting line of the 800 meters and wanting to vomit and almost vomiting and other things too, because I was nervous. And I'm like, how on God's green earth do these athletes work their entire lives for this one moment with the entire world watching and not crap their pants, not pass out? Like I wanted to know what made them great and what gave them that mental toughness to have it all come together at the perfect moment, a once in a lifetime chance. And I wanted to tell their stories, what made them great, because that translates in every aspect of life. So I knew from a young age, I wanted to do that. Um, and then when ESPN became big, I was like, that's what I want to do. So um, here's the funny story is that I started working at ESPN in 2007, but I got my first offer from ESPN in 2004. And I actually turned it down, even though I'd been saying for 20 years that that was my dream job. And the reason I turned it down is because I, I was pregnant with my second child. My first was like 18 months old. And I went up for the audition to Bristol right around the corner here. And um, I, I actually, it helped me to be pregnant because I was like, y'all don't understand what's happening in my belly right now. Like this child, boy, girl, I didn't know what it was, is bouncing on my bladder and you're asking me to redo a highlight. Let's go. So I think that attitude or that, the hormones helped me like have a good audition because I wasn't tight, but I, I, I got back and they offered the job and I just, I knew thanks to one of my um, greatest friends, the late Stuart Scott, he's a true legend at ESPN. Um, he had pulled me aside before we did the same agent at the time. And he's like, listen, girl, you got to be ready to go to ESPN. It is not for the faint of heart. And I told him I wanted to have, I wanted to have four kids. And he's like, just, just be ready. Even when you're ready, you're not ready. And so I took that advice and made my own decision. My agent, my um, husband, ex-husband now, but my husband at the time, my, my, my parents, everyone was like, have you lost your mind? This has been your mm -hmm. dream since you're a child and you're saying no. And I just said, my parents raised me, mom, dad, you raised me to focus on family. And if you put family first, everything else will work out. 
So I turned it down. My agent's like, well, good luck. You're going to be blackballed. They'll never call you back because ESPN doesn't need you. You need ESPN. And I took a shot and they called back three years later. Mm, that's, that's, that's such a nice beginning. And those feelings <laughs> when you, you know, first walk into that amazing first, especially television job, because it's very heady. It's exciting. It, it has interesting people in the industry that there's nothing like that. It really does. I remember that feeling at Fox, just feeling like this is the beginning of everything. Anything is possible. My life is going to exciting places. I can't possibly fully understand where, but that feeling of excitement and promise is it's tough to beat, you know, and and then they beat you down and you, <laughs> you swim in a toxic <laughs> But we get wiser, Sage. We get wiser, <laughs> get some battle scars. It started off terribly because I was in over my head. Uh, usually at the time they would train us on ESPN news. It was a good, at least 30 day process where there just weren't as many eyeballs on ESPN news and you did a bunch of highlights and you could screw up and no one was watching. And I, I didn't get that because um, there was a shortage one day and someone called in sick and they're like, Oh my gosh, we need you. And I was just, um, just shadowing people. And I'm like, you, what? Megan, I knew I wasn't ready, but what do you do? Do you say no? No, you have to do not. it. You do it. And my first day on the job for all those basketball fans out there, college hoops was day one of the NCAA tournament in 2007, March Madness. That first Thursday, there's like 1300 games in one day. And I was asked to host the 6 p.m. Eastern Sports Center primetime. And an hour show, live show, went to two hours and 45 minutes with no rundown out the window, all the stars in studio who I'd never even met go. And um, it did not go so well. <laughs> um, I, was, uh, I was called in the office after and they're like, so how do you think you did? And I'm like, I mean, I would, I'd been sobbing because I knew I was awful, um, but there, there were some extenuating circumstances and the right producers weren't on that day and there was zero communication. And, um, and I, but I took responsibility, even though there was nothing I could have done differently. I know there was nothing I could have done differently. It still didn't feel good because um, you only get that first chance, that one chance for that first impression, right? The mm -hmm. thing that saved me is an executive who pulled me aside, who ran SportsRun at the time. He's still there. Um, after 30 years and despite all the layoffs, he's still there. And he pulled me in his office and he said, we set you up to fail and I'm sorry. Wow. Yeah. That no one ever me. takes responsibility like that in television. That's amazing. What a guy. Never. I'm still friends with him. Um, he, I, I, I see him quite often at a workout class in town. And I've told him a million times, he's like, ah, whatever. I meant it. We screwed up. And I'm like, no, you saved me. Now I was demoted pretty quickly after that. I didn't get a, many other opportunities for a couple of years. Um, I went on updates at five in the morning and I was never to be heard from again. Um, it took me two years to find my confidence again. Actually, it took me two years to get pissed off and mm -hmm. to realize that it happened for a reason. Some, they took some responsibility. I took some responsibility, even though, again, I was a rookie and sh maybe shouldn't have been put in the position, but I said yes. Um, and I thought, I'll be damned if I'm going to let them or anyone else dictate how this goes from here on out. I only had one year left on a three-year deal. 
And I said, this has been my lifelong dream. I got to go. I have to fix this. And even if they never give me another contract again, which I was convinced they would not, why would they? I had no confidence. I was scared to death of my own shadow. I, I knew I didn't deserve there, deserve to be there in my mind. And I said, this is it. It's do or die. Um, in the meantime, I was prepared to not get another contract. And so um, my husband at the time was a full-time stay-at-home dad. And the kids, when I started at ESPN, were 11 months, two and four. And I thought, well, all the I'm the breadwinner, the sole breadwinner. I have to find something else. So I would do my morning show updates in the morning. And then in the evenings, I started to sell um, our bond skincare, like a pyramid thing. And I would go host parties and sell skincare and beg people to buy $80 moisturizers that I couldn't afford. Uh, and I'm the worst salesperson, but I, I was a disaster and I was sleeping two hours a night, but I'm like, I have to go out with a bang, if nothing else. And they gave me another contract. I think the anger um, drove me and that showed on the air and they gave me another shot and another shot and another shot. So I pulled myself up from my bootstraps and I think that army toughness kicked in at the last second. Yes, yes. Oh my gosh, I'm thinking about my friend right now who's a single mom and she's wondering what what where her next paycheck is going to come from and I keep telling her I'm like go get a job at the Piggly Wiggly. Do it. Yes. You know, like this will just be a chapter in your life story. It's, you know, work hard. You save yourself. That's what I say to her. That's what you realized. No one's coming to save me. I no. have to do it. And instead of feeling like a victim in that moment, it can turn into something so empowering that shows you like those beautiful biceps of yours. You do have the strength. <laughs> you have it in more ways than one. Please hug your friend for me because I remember that. And I remember whether it was my first job in, in South Bend, Indiana, on TV during the day, waiting tables, passing out steaks at night, or when I reached the pinnacle for a sportscaster, the end all be all, the worldwide leader at ESPN on TV during the day and selling skincare at night. No one knew, but I knew that I had to do it for my family and to save myself, um, knowing that I'm not going down without a fight. I just make it, I didn't know I had a fight in me until I had to. So yes. I'm, I'm grateful for that brutal start. I'm grateful for getting my butt kicked by people there, um, even all the way up to the, ver to the very end, because now I know um, that I can kind of handle anything. I'm like, well, that's, I mean, bring this, it. this would this bring would it. become important on, on multiple fronts, personal <laughs> and professional. That's where we'll pause. We'll squeeze in a quick break. More with the one and only Sage Steele coming up. Oh, loving, loving the whole thing. Sage, so let's just spend a minute on life at ESPN because my impression in knowing a few women sports reporters is, I mean, most of these female journalists in the sports world, they are cutthroat. I mean, I don't know if it's because it's a male dominated industry. News in general is kind of cutthroat, but, yeah. and especially for women, but especially for some reason in the sports journalism field, was that your experience? Has that been your experience? Yes. And it's <laughs> broken my heart. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I, yes. listen, I, I'm so tired of sugarcoating things. Megan. It's like, um, it's probably my biggest disappointment on my side, or I guess our industry 
as a whole, um, especially because as women, what do we say? We talk about the men all the time and we're always like, you know, and they're keeping us down in the glass ceiling and not, we do it to ourselves half the time. And to me, it's inexcusable. So I remember when I got to ESPN and I was so excited because there were not many, but a couple of other on-air women who had children. Um, and I just wanted to pick their brain. One in particular, I wanted to pick her brain because how do you do this on the national level with little kids, you know? Um, and she wasn't having it. Uh, really? I Very clear. Like, you're not on my level next. So I was like, sorry. One of the people that I kind of idolized for so many years too, watching from afar, that happened many times. Um, and I just, I, I felt so alone because in general and in, in sports, I mean, you don't want to rely on the men early on in my career for advice or help because you're, you're assuming, especially when I came out of college in 1995, that they don't want you there anyway, which wasn't the case. It's just kind of what's taught to you and the assumption. Mm -hmm. It was the case with some, but I, I don't want to put everybody in that basket. Um, but you're supposed to be there for each other as the women until you are apparently. Um, and it just was another level at ESPN. What I realized though, again, was I'm grateful for that because I realized that, gosh, once I'd been there a few years and got that second contract and thought, okay, maybe, maybe I have a shot here to continue this career, um, that I was determined to not allow other women to feel the way I had, um, alone and scared to death. So I remember trying really hard when other women would come in and, and, and reaching out and, you know, most of them did not have kids. I don't think any of the, them had kids really. Um, and some of them they had no interest and that's fine. Um, I mean, I, I used to host, you know, like your Stella and Dot, like your jewelry parties and clothing cabbie parties and whatever. And I did it to try to invite people over and I'm such a social butterfly. And most of the time it didn't work. Didn't, they didn't really show up, but, but it's okay. That was their choice. And I tried, I just thought, if I'm going to complain about how I was treated, then, then I owe it to the next woman to at least offer a hand, you know, an olive branch. Um, and it, it didn't, it didn't really get much better through the years, but I got better with it myself. And I think that's the key. Once you realize that you're trying, you just can't control how everybody else receives things or behaves. Um, and then it, you kind of get that. I found a piece with it. Um, I just, it's also one of those things where it's a lesson quite often. I think we hear it a lot in sports. Like, you know, we tell our kids, you know, your favorite athlete, you don't want to meet them, you know, because sometimes you're disappointed. Mm -hmm. That's what happened with me with a couple of women where I was like, gosh, I had you here for years. And then Who I specifically, you and I with you. <laughs> nice try Megan Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, here's uh, the good news, though. E even though you were getting the frosty reception from the women, I know you had the pleasure of working with delightful men like Keith Olbermann. So I'm sure it was really warm and fuzzy on that side. That's, that was been, must have been wonderful. I can't. Okay, I have a story. Here oh, good. Go. <laughs> I was doing the 6 p.m. Sports Center for um, three years, I think. Um, probably my least favorite role when I job when I was there, but I was doing that show and prime time and you don't say no to it and whatever. So um, when my co-host was out, um, Keith Olbermann had been brought back for, I don't know, the third time at ESPN. And um, he was living in New York city, of course. And Keith has a lot of dogs and loves his dogs. I love my dog too, sometimes. And 
he, when he would fill in though, um, decided that he, he didn't want to leave his dogs and he couldn't come to Bristol. So I was asked to go to New York to do the show in that studio instead. So Keith could be with his dogs. Um, I, and listen, again, as a sportscaster, Keith was one of the OGs. I mean, Keith was incredible and is in the heyday of sports center, Keith Olbermann and Dan Patrick. And, um, I mean, Bob Lee, who's the all-time goat in my mind and Stuart Scott and Kenny Maine. And I, I mean, Keith was great at that and talented. And I looked up to him and it was another one of those, damn it. Why did I meet one of my, one of the people that I loved, you know, and he was fine to my face. Um, I'd love to see him face to face now, just to have a conversation, which the C word, God forbid we use that these days and have a conversation. Um, <laughs> listen, I, I, I see what he says. It gets sent to me. People actually don't even waste their time anymore because um, he's a way people like that who are honestly, I'm not trying to be rude or mean or funny, but like, when you're so full of hatred, um, I don't want that energy in my life. I'm such a positive person and I really had to work at that. Um, and I'm actually a really nice person. It's Keith Sloss. I mean, I'm yeah. kind of fun, but he's not. Well, he's proven that. Was he nice to you like when you saw him in person when you were working together? Because I mean, I see he's attacking you. Trust me, he's attacking me and I'm attacking him too. And it's fun uh, regularly <laughs> on Twitter nowadays. But when you were colleagues, how was that? It was fine to my face. You know, listen, I think he knew um, that we probably didn't agree on most things. But to me, I actually took it as even more of a challenge. I knew, I mean, hello, who didn't know his politics? I just don't happen to care about his politics or anyone else's because I'm looking at you as a human being. How do you treat me? And at that time, he treated me well. I don't know what he said behind my back at that time. But also, he was filling in on my show. So um, maybe there was that dynamic that changed the way that he treated me man was respectful. Um, but I will always be respectful to others. Um, I always have been. There's one moment when I I, I had to have a moment with a, a former co-host after an incident that will someday be in the book because the book's going to be really good, Megan. I just have to find the energy and the focus to write it. Help me. Um, but I, it's fine. I just, it was another one of those disappointing moments where you're like, later, once I see the hatred that he's spewing, um, I'm like, gosh, you just don't want to meet the people that you think are great. <laughs> mm, no, well, you were very wrong. I'm sorry to tell you, very wrong. He is not great. And I do believe, I don't say this about everybody, I genuinely don't, he's a raging misogynist. He's a total oh. prick. Let's just be honest. <laughs> Complete and utter prick who I have zero desire to see you face to face with, never mind myself. Here, Here's he tweeted thing. this I out could, this week. I could, I could take him, Megan. Like, I could totally take him down. I mean, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, you could, and you're so much classier than he is that it should never happen. The two of you should never interact. He tweeted this out on Tuesday after your settlement was announced about you, Sage, doesn't know the difference between the First Amendment and First Take, which I just had to be told is an ESPN show, um, <laughs> an utter phony who will never realize for as long as 15 seconds that everyone can see through her at all times. So Keith Olbermann is apparently, a, I mean, in addition to being evil and a misogynist, a moron, because there are special laws in Connecticut, which is what made it very problematic for ESPN to F with you. So he should go do his little research. One thing he's not is a lawyer. And it is very apparent in any attempted legal tape that take that he offers. Um, is any event that enough about that loser. Uh, so that's ESPN. You're but not, notwithstanding some of the nastiness internally, your career is thriving. You're doing well. 
and getting more opportunities and you're hosting various specials and you're hosting various shows. And then you went on. Okay, forgive me, but I know Jay Cutler is like a former NFL guy, right? Like what? Who, who is Jay Cutler and what brought you to his show? This is another reason why I love you. You just own the, the whole lack of sports thing. I just love it. Um, <laughs> he is a former NFL quarterback. He played for the Chicago Bears for many years. And he had started, a. he retired. He used to be married to Kristen Cavallari. So he's in that whole Hollywood scene too. Um, and I, I, I knew his publicist and he said, hey, Jay Cutler started a new podcast and he's only had two episodes, but he wanted to have a woman. And would you be willing? I mean, I, it was like, like a favor to the publicist. I'd never met Jay. And I said, sure, why not? I mean, I'm a sportscaster. I talked about him a million times on the air and why not? So it was really, yeah. it was really that simple. It's not like I was, you know, going on with, um, you know, Megan Kelly or Tucker Carlson, where there's, there's, a, it's a news political lean. Maybe it was a yeah. quarterback. It was just to yeah. have a conversation with the former QB. Okay. And so this was during the whole COVID pandemic. Was it 2021 Sage? Yes. Okay. 2021. So you go on, you're having a conversation. And um, you said a few things that caused the backlash and that will ultimately lead to the lawsuit. So we'll play a couple. Now, this one actually wasn't I don't think this is part of the, uh, you know, the what ESPN was hitting you for. But you'll tell me you made a comment that I referenced earlier, my own beliefs about female reporters um, and, you know, like the ones who you choose to mentor and the ones who you really don't. And this is SOT one. I love to talk to you about this. Here's the thing. There is a fine line and I handled it. Like I yeah. didn't get anybody's because that's not my person. It wasn't my personality then. I might now a little more. Um, but I do think as women, we need to be responsible as well. It isn't just on players and athletes mm -hmm. and coaches to act a certain way. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've had talks with young women who like would come in and they'd intern um, with, with me, with our channel or just other women who reach out to me now. And I've said to the, a couple of them, they're like, well, would you look at my tape? Would you do this? And, I, and I've said, listen, I would love to, but the way that you present yourself is not something I want to be associated with. Yeah. So when you dress like that, yeah. I'm not saying you deserve the gross comments, but you know what you're doing when you're putting that outfit on too. Yeah. Like women are smart. So don't play coy and put it all on the guys when we, and again, I'm not saying anybody deserves anything. Yes. But we need to be responsible as women too because we know what we're doing 100 percent true everything you said is correct but was there blowback for that was that also something they didn't like yes it was very clearly one of the three things that they did not like i stand by it i will say it till the day i die i've been in those locker rooms i've been in corporate boardrooms i've been to clubs there's a difference what we wear and we know it i also have I have three kids. I have two daughters. They're now 21. So she's an adult and 17. And we have had these um, discussions slash arguments for years. Um, and listen, it's a different time. It's a different era. When I was in college, the end thing was your like 2XL baggy sweatshirts that you wore around campus. And it wasn't about the style. Have, styles have changed. Instagram, social media has change the viewpoint for our daughters and the pressures that are on them and the body image stuff too. Um, so I get it. Things have changed. However, to me, our standards should not. And I tell them, I'll say it again. We are smart. Women are brilliant. W women are the better species. We're to me, like we're, we're, we're just amazing. And so don't play dumb because we know that when we wear certain things, we're going to get certain looks. I say this to my daughter, um, both of them. I'm like, listen, you 
are stunning in every way. God made you perfectly. Um, when you wear that, that, and it's down here or up here, I'm like, listen, I love men. I love men, but I'm looking at you too right now. And I'm not interested mm -hmm. in women. But I'm looking at you too, because you're like, you're, you're, so I just, um, I'll continue to make the separation too. We do not deserve um, negative comments, certainly anything that goes beyond that hands touch, nothing. It's disgusting. Men be better. Women be better because mm -hmm. we know exactly what we're doing and our why. And I'm just saying that I, I, I think that there is a way to be attractive and maybe even sexy and professional. You don't have to pick one. And I will always stand by that. That's right. I couldn't agree with you more. You get in the in the workplace setting, dress professionally and you will you should expect professional results. But if you go in there dressed like, you know, a prostitute, you're going to get all kinds of attention that you do not want. It's a simple thing. It's a simple. It's not to say, OK, you get sexually assaulted. It's your fault. It's correct. to say you, when when the eyes come on you, you cannot sit back and say, oh, he looked at me. Oh, he came on to me. It's like, well, why were you showing your coochie at the workplace? Because that, that's going to make most men look uh, like, all right, stand by. I'm going to squeeze in a quick break and we'll pick it I up on the too. opposite side of this <laughs> as as Stage as Sage Steele stays with us. Uh, don't forget, folks, you can find The Megan Kelly Show live on Sirius XM Triumph Channel 111 every weekday at noon east. Full video show at YouTube.com slash Megan Kelly. You can get the good clips there, too. The audio podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts for free. Check it out. We'll be right back. All right, Sage, so the other two things that made a lot of headlines were comments on the vaccine and then comments about uh, being the child of, of being a biracial child and comparing the, what Obama uh, had said about himself. So the as we can see in the interview, you've got a Band-Aid on your arm because you were complying with the ESPN slash Disney mandate that all of its employees get the vax. And not only did they make you get the vax, the double vax, they made you get a booster and you complied. You complied, even though you didn't want to comply, but you did it. And then you had the temerity to make a mild criticism of the fact that you were forced into it like everybody else there. Here's that bit. Sot three. What's the bandaid for? <laughs> well, I got my shot today. I respect everyone's decision. I really yeah. do. Yeah. But to mandate it is. Um, sick mm -hmm. and it's scary yeah. to me in many ways um but i have a job yeah. a job that i love and frankly a job that i that i need but again i love it yeah. i just um i'm not surprised it got to this point especially mm -hmm. with disney i mean a, a global company like yes. that but i just um like it was actually emotional like so and it's funny everybody else has their yay look and here's yeah. my card and let's I'm like you know what you want to see what my face looked like when I had to do it mm. um, so I get it to to an extent but I think the mandate is what I really have an issue with and and I I I don't know I don't know what comes next um, but I do know for me personally I feel I feel like defeated so well said and now especially that people are being more honest about the downsides of the vaccines and the number of people who have been vaccine injured and the inefficiency and you know the ineffectiveness of the vaccines in so many other ways i mean it's, it's like it's just indisputable that you had every right to object and yet you did not get the phone call from anybody at ESPN saying i'm sorry i'm sorry 
you know, I, I heard you. And it was, it was to the contrary. That day, and I, I haven't watched that in a long time because obviously there's been so much um, ugliness that has come from that podcast as a whole and those comments, that my comments. And by the way, I own everything. Every single thing I said, I would say it again today and I still believe it. So I don't want to separate myself from that. Um, but that day, like I literally, Megan had just come from the stupid grocery store pharmacy to get the shot. That's why the band aid. like I've been asked a couple of times, even recently, is that a prop to, to stir the pot and to get them to ask you about that? I was like, no, I literally was late getting the shot because I sat in my car crying saying, I cannot believe I'm going to go against what I believe is right and my morals and values and what I, what I believe being forced with my body to keep my job. But I knew I had no choice. I am um, a mother of three. I'm a single mother of three. Their father is, is here and he's a wonderful father, but I'm a hundred percent the breadwinner. And I knew that I, I had no choice. And I sat in that car and I, I was disgusted with myself for caving. See, I get emotional again. It's so stupid. Um, I went in the grocery store and I sat down and the nurse looked at me. She's like, are you okay? Cause I'm like rah, crying. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, I'm not okay. I'm being forced to do this. And I don't believe it's right. Not yet. Give it a year. See what more they learn. This is still experimental. Like, just give me time before I have to put this in my body. Um, and the nurse looked at me and grabbed my hand and said, this is so wrong. And I'm sorry. Wow. And, um, she gave me a squeegee ball to, you know, clench my fist to get a good vein and whatever. Like, I don't know, even remember. I don't, maybe it wasn't for a vein. Maybe it was here. I don't know. I was, it's all a blur. And I'll never forget that moment. And Megan, I changed at that moment when that shot went here. Um, so no, I didn't leave the bandaid on for a prop. I forgot it was there. And I just literally sprinted in and set up this laptop in my bedroom upstairs and turn on Zoom and we did it. That's all it was. It wasn't intentional, but I was obviously emotional. And I'll say this too, that morning I had been praying about it and I asked God for a sign, like, should I do this or should I take a chance and, and walk away? Will I have another job? Will I be able to, to, to keep a roof over the, the head of my children? And I said, just give me a sign. And I was in the shower and I opened my eyes and I looked out and there's, there's, there's this tile, a marble tile that I had seen a million times for a million showers I've taken. And for some reason, when I opened my eyes at that moment, the marble was in the form of an angel. And I just said, oh my, I asked for a sign. And to me, that sign was, you're going to be okay. I got you. And I have a strong faith. And for me at that moment, that's what I needed. And I drove to the grocery store and I got the shot and I sprinted home and I went on the podcast and the rest is history. Mm -hmm. And it honestly could have been so much more vicious if you really wanted to unload on them. Oh, I held back. Really... Did you see me look to the side at one point? I was like, breathe deeply. Don't say it. And yeah, and because I, I have a right to my opinion because I complied, I complied, I got it. I got the booster in order to go to the masters a couple months later. Like I did everything, um, I, but I'm allowed to have an opinion, right. I thought. Why aren't you allowed to say, like that's the, exactly the thing, you did what they asked you to do. 
But there's there's no written rule that you then can't say, I object to it. I don't like what I'm being made to do. And yet they tried to silence you. They were very upset. I'm going to get to the whole backlash, but I just want to play the third soundbite to set it up yeah. for the audience. Um, and it was a comment about race. So we've already set up your background. People know about Barack Obama's background. And here's what you said in Satu. I used to do a couple um, fill-ins on The View. Mm-hmm. And I guess this was even before. This is when Obama was still president. And Barbara Walters, like, ripped me live TV and then afterwards, too, um, because they were wondering, they're like, why is it so important to you to say that you're biracial? I'm like, I... Because my mom's white, she's Irish Italian, and my dad's black, and I, mm-hmm. I'm like, why, why not? Like, right. I actually feel like I have the best of both worlds. Yeah, and I think it's a huge blessing, and I'm, why not? And and she's like, well, what happens when you, uh, when you fill out your census? I'm like, well, I don't know when the last time I filled out my census was, but yeah. <laughs> if they make you choose a race, yeah, she's like, what are you gonna put? I go, well, both. She's like, well, you can't. He goes, well, what if Barack Obama chose black and he's biracial? I'm like, well, congratulations to the president. That's his thing. I go, I think that's fascinating consider, considering his black dad was nowhere to be found, but his white mom and grandma raised him. But hey, mm-hmm. you do you. I'm going to do me. That is honest. It's totally reasonable. And it's your point of view. Normally, if, normally, you know, especially for a biracial woman, uh, who had made it in a man's industry, the left would be celebrating you for speaking so openly and taking it. But no, you said the wrong thing. You see, you're you're entitled to an opinion just so long as it aligns with their views on race. That's the problem. Right. Even, even you as a biracial woman can get slammed, can get criticized, can be called all sorts of terrible things because your views on race only count if they align with theirs. Somebody was it was it, wait a minute, somebody online was calling you uh, Clarence Thomas. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's a compliment. So that's, I think so. <laughs> right. Like if you're trying to insult her, you should try harder. But that's because, I mean, it happens to him too, right? Like the views, your skin color doesn't count unless you say all the things that the left wants you to be saying about something as dicey as race. Barack Obama wrote a book about his black father not being there. This was not breaking news. To me, it, it goes back. First, can I thank you, Megan? Because of the thousands of times that 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 the controversial clip of Obama, that comment by, by me has run, you are the first person who has ever played the entire thing with the context, which happens to matter, about the view. This would mm-hmm. never have come up. Barbara Walters. Sherry Shepard, Whoopi Goldberg, Jenny McCarthy, and and Sherry and Jenny were great. Whoopi ended up being quite nice about it after, which is a story in the book when Barbara Walters tried to tackle me in the green room, but it's fine. Um, Barbara Walters is the one that went nuts and asked me about it live on TV. This is in 2014. I said almost the exact same thing in 2014 live on ABC, which happens to be owned also by Disney. But seven years later, what I said apparently is not okay. Um, and granted, it's a year and a half after George Floyd. Times had changed, but the facts remain the same. So uh, once again, and I, I've said this a million times, this is kind of like my attempt at levity, but I'm pretty sure that my white mom was there when I was born. So you're damn right I'm going to identify as white as well as black. I 
am so blessed to be loved equally by my white family as well as my black family. And if anything, you know, people talk about how much I, I hate myself and I must hate my black father and my black family and I'm and I'm racist and I'm a sellout and I'm a coon and I'm all the most negative words that you can think of, which it's amazing because most of the hatred comes from people who look like me. Mm. Mm, sage. So I um it's okay because it's been my whole life, which is why this is so sensitive. Um, but I refuse to be quiet about this anymore. And by the way, no matter what I said, I have that right to feel the way I feel based on my experience. I'm not talking about statistics and I'm not doing highlights on SportsCenter and I'm, and I'm, oh my gosh, I got the stat wrong. I pronounced his name wrong get called in the boss's office or get an email because, you know, you, you factually said something incorrect. This is my story. I can feel how I want about my upbringing. And I am so proud of my family. And to tell me um, that it's not okay to have that opinion is wrong. And the thing is, whenever I have talked about being biracial and it has been controversial and other times, not to this level, I've had people wait in line for an hour, young biracial kids say thank you because I get forced to choose. And it's interesting because you're only pushed to choose one side. Mm -hmm. um, if I had said, I'm a black woman, don't call me biracial, I would have been celebrated. But because I chose to honor my mother as well. Um, so the good thing is I don't care anymore because this is my experience and if i allow others to continue to take things away from me then that's on me and i refuse um so i obviously it's an, an emotional topic because i'm um you get tired of feeling like you're not enough um and i was celebrated i was oh my gosh look at that girl do you know how many people Thousands of people through the years have come up and said, wow, you left your hair curly. You owned your curls. Most women with curly hair, white or black, are told to straighten it and have like the anchor bob going and look like a traditional. I have had people at ESPN, bosses, not only tell me to stop wearing heels because I'm too tall next to the short guys on TV, but to straighten my hair. And wow, you look so good and so different. I don't know how to straighten it. It takes hours. I don't have time. I have three kids. And oh, by the way, this is how God gave me, excuse me, this is how God made me. I'm okay being me finally. So um, I'm allowed to have an opinion. I'm allowed to have an opinion about women because I am one and I've been there and I've been through discrimination in every aspect of being a woman in a, in a locker room um, with coaches and coworkers and bosses who are misogynists. And I've pushed through it, I've been there. I'm allowed to have an opinion on a vaccine mandate that I disagreed with, but did anyway. And I'm allowed to have an opinion on being a proud biracial woman who is so proud of every aspect of, of, of my entire family and my faults, my weaknesses, and my good spots too, what, I, what makes me a good human being. So um, I'm allowed to feel the way I'm allowed to feel. And when you try to silence me, I'm done. I, I'm done. And if not for me, for so many other people who 
have been silenced because they're a little bit different and don't fit in with the social norm, that, that is divisiveness. That is ugliness. And that is not what America is supposed to be. As I listen to you, I, I'm thinking about Glenn Lowry, who came on the show early on. It was very close to the George Floyd thing after we launched, when we launched. And I asked him, what is the solution to you know, these divisive messages that are dominating the news these days? And he said, honestly, we need more biracial marriages and biracial children. That's the solution. You know, in the same way that I think the solution to like the Me Too problem is mothers of both boys and girls who, who you know, want due process for the accused, but also don't want their girls harassed or hurt. And so I look at you and I say, oh, she's the solution. Like she, she this person is one of the few chosen who can get us through this mess, who can who's got like this unique perspective who we should really be listening to. But unfortunately, that's not how these others feel like the people who dominate our media circles, who dominate social media, who have been driving the narrative on this race debate. As you point out, you know, you can only say, no, I'm black. That that's fine. Can you imagine if you they would have been fine if you said I'm black. Can you imagine if you said I'm white? They would. <laughs> because I'm exactly 50 percent of each. Look at the right. pictures that you've been showing on the screen for the last several minutes. Like I would have been completely celebrated. I would still be the it girl, which is never anything I dreamt of being, you know, I would still be on the top shows. I would have been celebrated. I would have been, I would have been on all those race specials. Wouldn't I have, I wouldn't, yes. the ones I wasn't allowed to be on, I would have been there, but because I was true to who I am, what is in my blood, um, that's not okay. And that's fine because you know what? It's their loss. And I am unafraid to now talk because I agree. Like, I mean, that's what the military was, Megan. It's just so, I always said it was the most diverse yet sheltered world because everybody, there were so many interracial marriages and, and we took care of each other because we knew what it was like to move across the world. It was so beautiful. And I didn't know about this hatred until I got out of that environment. Um, so I, I feel like God has put me here for a reason, um, not just the way he made me, but here and here now um, to get out there and have this conversation and to call out the hypocrisy because that is what it is. And until someone has the courage to call it out on a, a larger platform, this will continue. And frankly, there's so many people who are afraid to, to, to speak up and even ask questions of people of color because they're gonna be deemed racist and, mm -hmm. and, and that we're going backwards. It feels like my, my mother and father's. It feels like when, when they were getting married and fighting and to, to, to be relevant with their own families in 1970, 71, this is pathetic and it's inexcusable and we have to stop. And I'm just not, a, I want to be there. I want to help because I don't want anyone to ever feel the way that I felt despite being at the top of my profession. Um, it's time. And I just, I want to have people talk and own it. Yes. You can't have yes. it both ways. You can't preach diversity and equity and inclusion and tolerance and then cut people off because they don't believe the way that you say they're supposed to believe because of the color of their skin or their gender. It is wrong and I'm done. Done. So done. I'm done with you. I. So here's where we get to the truly infuriating part. There was backlash from, you know, these morons online, of course, as we've discussed, but the company, <laughs> the company did the wrong thing. And 
started to retaliate against you. And before we get to exactly what they did, and we've got some of it on tape, um, I just need—I have to remind the audience: this is ESPN. They're one of the wokest, most vocal news organizations when it comes to political viewpoints of any of them. It's fine to speak out on dicey political or cultural issues at ESPN if you're not named Sage Steele, somebody who is obviously more fair and balanced in her approach to these issues. That's fine. And we pulled just a couple of examples just to remind people it was happening all around you. Anybody could have excused you for not understanding that apparently you're not you're not allowed to to speak out. I'll just go through a couple. All right. So this is 2017. Here's Jamel Hill and her tweet about then President Donald Trump. Later, she would get suspended because she piled on after this tweet uh, and said a, a bunch of things. But here's just one example of Jamel Hill, who was at uh, CNN. Can we put it on the board so I can see it? Because I don't actually have it in front of me. Um, where she says Donald Trump is a white supremacist who has largely surrounded himself with other white supremacists. Uh, and then she goes on, right? He he loves black people so much that he pandered to racists by using a flag that unquestionably stands for dehumanizing black people. And you can go on and on. And on. He's the most ignorant, offensive president of my lifetime. His rise is a direct result of white supremacy, period. Um, OK, no problem. Two, it wasn't until two weeks later when she said something else that ESPN gave her some mild suspension. Um, flash forward to George Floyd after George Floyd died in, in May of 2020. The number of people who went on the air at, at ESPN and got political and took, you know, strong positions on something as dicey as race. I can't even count. No problem. They were celebrated. We have a little montage of it. Watch. Almost didn't come to work tonight because some of the reaction to recent events reminded me that there are several people watching me right now who feel that the color of my skin makes me less worthy of basic human rights and dignity. And the thought of providing those people with news and entertainment literally made me sick to my stomach. A lot of people have ticked off we should be. Colin Kaepernick looks pretty good now, doesn't he? Ali was vindicated by history. And I think Kaepernick is being vindicated, too. We're talking about this in 2020. It's just, it's unthinkable. What I'm saying is, as an African-American citizen of this country, how many times is enough? I'm exhausted and I'm tired, and the last bit of my patience went out of my body when I watched it go out of George Floyd's. That's not it. That's not it. Look at more recent examples after Ron DeSantis in Florida signs the parental rights bill protecting uh, parents and their right to opine on their children's education and keep them free from sexual indoctr indoctrination and gender and uh, orientation and all that. Um, here is Laura Gentili. Uh, no, sorry, we'll get to her in a second. Here is, do we have Al Duncan? Yeah, here she is. We understand the gravity of this legislation and also how it is affecting so many families across this country. And because of that, our allyship is going to take a front seat. And with that, we're going to pause in solidarity. Our LGBTQIA plus teammates at Disney asked for our solidarity and support, including our company's support in opposition to the parental rights in education bill in the state of Florida and similar legislature across the United States. And a threat to any human rights is a threat to all human rights. And at this time, Courtney and I, we're going to take a pause from our broadcast to show our love and support. Oh, my God. All fine. 
not punished. What Sage said in those three Jay Cutler soundbites, different story. So how did the backlash manifest against you by the company? Um, I feel like there's, there's like almost two different conversations there. Um, I, I think the difference is quite obvious that I was on a, a, a podcast, not on ESPN Airwaves, um, on a, right. a day off. Um, to me, it was very different um, compared to what you just played. Listen, all I ever wanted was consistency. And if we are allowing my peers to go on social media, much less on our own airwaves, saying things that are anything that have nothing to do with sports, um, that are political, that are not true quite often because the parental rights bill in Florida is not what many people claim that it is. Most people apparently didn't take the time to read it. Um, then I should be allowed on my personal time to give my opinion on my experiences personally without telling others what to do um, or how to feel about being biracial or being forced to take a vaccine. And I think that's just what breaks my heart is that there were different rules for me than everyone else. Yeah, there certainly were. Um, they started to take responsibilities away from you while at the same yeah. time forcing you to apologize. Um, the comment that you put out was as follows, quote, I know my recent comments created controversy for the company and I apologize. We are in the midst of an extremely challenging time that impacts all of us. And it's more critical than ever that we communicate constructively and thoughtfully. So did they make you do that, Sage? And how did that feel? I did not want to apologize. I fought and I fought and I begged and I screamed. And I was told that if I want to keep my job, I have to apologize. And I need my job. And I love my job, Megan. I loved it. Loved it. Every moment on Sports Center, the last two and a half years with my co-host Matt Berry and my producers, we have the, had <laughs> the best team. So proud. Um, I loved it, but I needed it as well. And um, right. they knew that. They knew that. So um, I apologize, and I think that I, I thought that that was going to be the end of it because that's what I was told. Um, but when it continued, and there were events taken away, events I'd worked years to get. Um, and I was just told, you know, hey, you, uh, we need a little more time. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I think in anything in life, quite often we say, all right, one more time and it's over and I'm done. Or, you know, to your kid, if, 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 if you one more time talk to me like that, then you're grounded. If you, I knew that there was a line somewhere. I just didn't know what it was mm -hmm. until it was crossed. And yeah. When I lost the Rose Parade, um, which just was a big deal. It was on ABC and it was, um, it's, it's iconic and it's special. Um, that was, that was it. Um, I just didn't know what I was going to do with that. I knew that mentally I had checked out and was heartbroken again at the hypocrisy of 
the rules, either the rules, the rule for everybody or nobody, but you can't pick and choose. And especially if it's just Mm -hmm. one person, it's just me. (laughs) And and then they let you Uh, hang out to dry because all the news media started to run with, she's been suspended. She's been suspended. Meanwhile, no one told you you were suspended, but they were happy to see you twist in the wind. Um, There's, let me see, Yahoo, Sage Seal suspended from ESPN for her controversial remarks regarding race, COVID vaccine. Um, Ebony Sage Steele suspended from ESPN after controversial remarks. Here we go. Clay Travis, uh, he, he was repeating another Fox News report, ESPN suspension of Sage Steele. He called it absolute madness. He had your back. Um, and they loved to see all of it. They, they were happy to see you twist. And then now I'm going to get to the woman I referenced, Laura Gentile, ESPN executive vice president of marketing. At the opening remarks of ESPN Women, October 2021, which was an event you were supposed to host, correct? But didn't. Correct. Okay. Yeah, because of this. So they pull, start pulling responsibilities away from you. They, they publicly embarrass you. And then this woman gets up there in the spot where you're supposed to be hosting and says the following sop for. We have, you know, a stalwart not with us this year um, in Sage Steel. Um, you know, she, she kind of had a, you know, incident and, and kind of shared some points of view, perhaps in a difficult way, in an unprofessional way. And so we, we kind of elected, um, for her to kind of sit this one out and she, you know, she apologized to me. She apologized to Rachel. Um, but again, like you said, it's a family and she's been a part of the summit for 10 years. She'll always be a friend of mine. And so, you know, you keep, keep marching on. Some friend. I want to clarify one thing because because of the firestorm, um, I actually volunteered to step away from the summit that year. It was all in the middle of it. I had been told that I was supposed to interview Halle Berry for the upcoming movie she was starring in and and directing as well, I think. Um, And then apparently Halle Berry's team said that they wouldn't come if I were there. And because of my comments about biracial. And so I realized that my comments, even though though I, I still stood by them, obviously, um, that if it were affecting my friends there, that I wanted to step away. So I stepped away from that. That's can why I say I wanted- at that moment, a, a respectful, respectable company would have said, don't be ridiculous. Then Holly Berry isn't coming. We stand by you, our loyal employee who's been with us for years now. And it, you're more important to us. That's that's the right thing to do. And can I I can relate to I this. Never thought of that. When, when, I, I guess I never even thought of that, Megan. You're right. But I think I was I was just trying to let them know that, listen, I was just trying to be myself. Everyone else is allowed to. I was just being me. But if it affects my friends, because I was there from the very first day of ESPNW on the stage hosting, it's a two and a half, three day summit. They had my face on the hotel room keys every year. Like I loved it because it was about uplifting women and and bringing us to prominence and fighting to put more WNBA highlights on SportsCenter. I fought with my producers about that. And so I, I just didn't want my friends there that we'd worked so hard to make this event great to be suffering because of my words. So I stepped away. So when she said, when Laura, who was my friend, said that, I was like, oh, wait, you're saying you elected to have me sit this out? Oh, I I thought I stepped away, which Mm. I was embarrassed. But you just announced to the world that it was your decision to basically kick me off it. The irony of it, that it's a women's summit that is uplifting women. And for years, I was on that stage saying, hey, let's 
we have to have our voices. We are equal to men and it's okay and to be diverse. And as a woman, you stand tall and you be you. And all of a sudden the women's summit said, we don't want you because you're not, yeah, the not, right not that version of you, you. A, a different uh, version of you, preferably. Right. No, the irony is absolutely apparent. It's rich and it's gross. It's it makes my skin crawl. So but at this point and we've talked about this, you know, you and I've talked about it privately and we've talked about it on the air that there is an extra level of pressure on you when you are the wage earner for your family. And, you know, it's not that you would have been on the streets if you had lost your job, but a, a lot of things would have changed dramatically in your life and in your children's life. And especially you going through a divorce, it's like you want as much stability for your children as possible. You, don't, you want to disrupt as little as possible. And they knew all that. And they knew your dad was sick and they didn't give a damn. They didn't give a damn about you or what any of this was doing to you. That's why they're so disgusting out there trying to care like they act like they care. Oh, about parents. How about this parent who's been loyal to your company for a decade now as you throw her under the bus and then back over her? multiple times. They're disgusting. I'm sorry, but Disney's gross. And but but most of us, even at this point, would have said, I've got to keep my mouth shut the same way I got the needle in the arm. I got to keep my mouth shut because it's my job. It's my career. It's my kids. It's my home. It's everything I've worked for. That's truly in the balance right now. And you picked up the phone and called Brian Friedman, ah, who we both love. He was my lawyer who took on NBC. He was your lawyer who took on ESPN. And can I just say, and we've talked about this, but the, the thing about Brian Friedman, the, the, yes, he knows how to fight. He's brilliant. He's not afraid of these companies. That's why everybody now is trying to hire him. But the thing about Brian that people don't know is privately, like his ability to remind you that you're great and you're not the problem. And, you know, you've been treated wrongly, right? Like, because I think our instincts, anybody who's a professional who's made it in their industry, your instinct is, is to blame yourself. Your instinct is to say, like, oh, I guess I screwed okay. up. Everybody's telling me I'm terrible. Maybe I'm really terrible. And and I know he had the heart to heart with you. Like, it's not you, Sage. It's not you. It's them. And began the fight to get us to where we are now. Brian Friedman saved me um, because he did exactly what you described. And Megan, I had never talked to an attorney really in my life. I didn't even use an attorney for my divorce. My God, like I, I'm the least litigious person. Like I, you know who called me and said, you have to call Brian? Chris Harrison. Chris Harrison. Yeah. Yeah. Who was you, you had co-host. Yeah. He was canceled for totally benign comments. Exactly. Yeah. He was my co we co-hosted Miss America together twice. And we did a crazy special at a volcano in Nicaragua on ABC. And, and then he was canceled in the most disgusting way. And he called me to tell me about an article that had come out and something that someone had said about me that he had worked with on the bachelor. And I, for some reason, that article broke me. And, um, he just, he's like, listen to me, you need to call Brian Friedman he'll have your back at least, at least try. And I'm like, I'm not calling a lawyer. I'm just going to, again, you get quiet and you go away and you try to fix it. And he texted Brian while we were on the phone. And five minutes later, I got a call from Brian Friedman, uh, the busiest attorney probably in America over the last couple of years. And yes. 
he just listened for an hour as I was sobbing like a crazy person. And he's like, I, I am so sorry you've been through this. We need to talk further. And we did. Now there's, that's that, but then that's another thing to actually pull the trigger, right? And, and file a lawsuit. Um, and it was so, so, so scary, Megan. And I, I sue your own you boss. That. But that, yeah, I mean, and this, again, I'm going back to that 11 year old girl who um, had this dream. And then how many kids get to see their actual dream realized? And the world gets to see it too. Like, how does it get to this point where I am living that dream? And then the dream kind of changes and it doesn't always feel dreamy. <laughs> and it's this now, and I have to make a decision to stand up for myself legally in a legal fashion or just go quiet and beg them to forgive me and hope I get one more contract, which I knew that they weren't going to forgive me at that point. Um, but it wasn't about that. It was more about other people. And I knew that it was pro like, I don't know, maybe over for me, but if I don't send a message about being silenced, then I'm going to have to shut up for the rest of my life. Then it's on me. And then like, get over it. You cannot complain about something, but then be silent in my opinion. Um, at this Now, listen, talk to me 10 years ago and I would have hidden under this table. I'm a different person now and I'm grateful for how I have changed through a ton of adversity. But Brian, no one forced me to do, to do this, to fight back. I will tell you, I talked to my kids and um, they've seen a lot of the things through the years and they experienced some of the hate. And when people online go after your kids and find their social media and threaten to rape them and, oh um, and death threats, look at them. That was at the Post Malone concert here in Hartford a couple of weeks ago. I'm a postie. I love Post Malone. We had so much fun, but like, that's my why, right? Because if I'm telling them to stand tall and to be strong and I wither away out of fear of not having a paycheck, then I'm a freaking hypocrite, you know? I, I I had to make a decision. I knew it would be life altering. I thought I could, I could, you know, maybe fix it and maybe we could talk things out. Um, but you know, when I told my kids and then I'll shut up, I know I'm rambling, I I went to, my oldest daughter was at school, at college already. I called her and she's like, okay, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, it's gonna come down tomorrow. And I talked to my youngest daughter. Um, she's one that's now 17. And then I, I talked to my son. My son's in the middle of his two awesome, crazy, insane sisters. <laughs> and mm -hmm. he always is quite observant. He doesn't say too much. And I went downstairs and I said, buddy, I gotta talk to you. I said, you know what's been going on? And I need to tell you that tomorrow, um, there's going to be some news because I'm filing a lawsuit about what happened and being silenced. And I just need you to know, and I don't need you to defend me ever, ever, but I need you to know what's coming potentially. And my son stopped what he was doing. And he looked at me and he said, it's about time you stood up for yourself, mom. Oh, wow. And I just knew that I was doing the right thing because my Nicholas doesn't say that much, you know? And for him to say that, and he looked me in the eye when he said it, and granted he's 6'4", he looked down at me, but I was like, okay, sometimes you think your kids just think you're annoying and crazy, especially when you have a mom in the public eye. And as your kids right. get older, you know, it's a thing, but he said, it's okay. I want you to fight. I want you to stand up for yourself. And so I feel like my kids have pushed me to fight back, even though it's affected them. 
and I worry because it, they don't always like my job because of this. Sometimes they just want a normal mom who doesn't get, you know, in trouble for being herself. It's too late. <laughs> I can relate. It's too late. <laughs> it's too late. Sorry. <laughs> this is uh, this is how you're how, how God, the, the hand God dealt you. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, their life is really good. And they know that with the blessings, there's other another side to it. And they need to know that that's how life is. This is a blessing. And there's another side. And it's important to feel that too. Yeah. I, I, I wrote about this, I think in my book, but one time Doug and I were at an interview for our son's application to one of these New York City snooty private schools. And, um, <laughs> I, I was just like a bull in a china shop. You know, I was just saying the wrong thing and then the, then two wrong things and then three wrong things. And it was just, I just kept bucking and breaking china. And uh, <laughs> we're walking out and uh, Doug's like, honey, like, what, what went on in there? And I was like, you know, I gotta be me. And he goes, I, you think you could be like 90% of you someday? Like, but no, nope. <laughs> you got the full 100, 100%. Enjoy. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> right, you're welcome. All right, stand by, stand by. We're going to squeeze in our last break and we will come back with Sage Steele straight ahead. So I don't want to skip past what this does to you, you know, when all of your colleagues, because your colleagues piled on too. I mean, you yeah. have to go through them all, but they piled on. There, there weren't a bunch of people saying, I got your back. Hello, oh, I can relate. No. I can relate. <laughs> I can relate. Um, so your colleagues are piling on you. The social media mob is piling on you. Uh, and then your company, rather than having your back, tries to publicly embarrass you. Um, and in the lawsuit, you alleged that the distress was severe enough. It could result in illness or bodily harm. I understand that. So what what did that mean? And what were you going through? The reason I wanted to talk to you is because I know you understand it. And I hate that you understand it. Um, I didn't know you. I, I, I just witnessed what you went through. Um, and it just broke my heart from a distance. You know, I just don't understand where we are today and why. Um, I think because there were so many of my friends or people that I thought were my friends who were public about it, um, public about how they felt about my comments you have my cell phone we've hung out we've talked we've worked together for right. years just again people are afraid to have a conversation and i just didn't understand that and and, and by the way you can you can hate me now because of my decision to say that i'm biracial versus black you can or white. And by the way if i'm referred to as black I'm totally fine with it. I'm just saying if I'm, I mean, it's, it's, I love, I love who I am, but if, if, if I'm being told to put in writing somewhere, then I'm, I'm going to say what I am. And if you hate me because of that, then you have that right. Um, if you hate me because of the other comments, you have that right. And I respect that. I just was devastated that it was allowed to happen in that way that my, company allowed it to be public when they had not allowed that for other people in the past when other other people had been criticized we called it you know ESPN on ESPN crime there were repercussions so why were there none when it happened to me and I think I, I was mad but more than anything I was 
just devastated because I, I, I had been such a good soldier, such a good employee for so many years and proud of it. Right. Um, so I just didn't understand that. And that, that took a toll. And then I was, I was scared to go back to work, Megan, when I got off of my uh, suspension, I was so scared because I thought I'd been made to believe that everybody hated me. Um, and to walk back in there and you don't just walk back in work, like you walk back on and you have to perform on live national television in front of millions of people. Right. I think that that's, so that's the distress part, right there. And there's a lot more to it that I won't bore you with now. I think though, that that's what I'm most proud of Megan is that, um, I was able to compartmentalize much better than I ever dreamt. And to have this ongoing for 22 months from the beginning, from when I was first punished to Monday, um, I, I went back in there and I stood tall and had great conversations with producers and was passionate about every single interview, every single segment you can ask them. Like, it's just what I have done my whole life. Why am I going to stop just because there's this other crap going on as wrong as it might be. But I walked in there every day and I did it. And I, and I hadn't thought of it. And Brian Friedman's like, do you realize what you're doing and that you are suing your company, one of the biggest companies in the planet while you're still on their airwaves? And I was like, oh, you're right. I mean, I, I just, I just mm -hmm. go back to work because that's what you do. And because I wanted to work and I love my job, but I was so scared to go back. And I'll say this. My parents, again, saved their kid. They came here when I was suspended, which I also then happened to get COVID really bad. Ironically, three weeks of after course. I got the vaccine that was so perfect to prevent me from getting COVID. It's great. I was really sick and couldn't leave the house for you know eight days. And I was alone. My kids went to their dad's house because he couldn't be around me. And I'd never been more. It was the low point in my life for sure. When I was suspended, I was attacked by the, everybody on the inter internet. All of them, not all, too many of my peers at work couldn't see my kids and um, thought that my whole life was over. And my parents came to Connecticut. They lived in Pennsylvania at the time. And my dad, with his cancer, did not need to be around someone who was sick. It was risky. And he did it. And my parents came and they lifted me off the ground. And they were here when I went back to work that day. And before I left the house, because I was shaking, um, my mom and dad pulled me aside. And one of my best friends, Tiffany, who's my makeup artist, and so much more than that, the best human I know, my dad's like, huddle up, because he's a football player. Till the day he dies, he's a football player. Huddle up, guys. And as I'm walking out the door, he's like, we're saying a prayer. And um, it was St. Michael the Archangel. And if you're Catholic, you know what that is. We say it at the end of Mass. And it's basically mm -hmm. about protecting me from evil from the and as I walked yeah as, and look it up for those of you who haven't um, heard or said the prayer it's pretty powerful it is um, to protect you from bad and ugly and I believe evil is a too much of a, a, a relevant word in our society right now and so we said our prayer and we hugged and I went to work and I went on the air and he texted me in the first commercial break. He's like, that's my girl. You got this. And every single day from that moment on, which I believe was like October 18th, 2021, until the last day I went on air recently, I called my parents as I pulled in to ESPN and we said the prayer. 
together every single day for almost two years. And so I knew that I would be okay. I did feel protected by God, by my mommy and my daddy. And at 50, I still needed my parents, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And my friends and so many people that I continued to hear from, from around the world. And even people at work who would pull me aside and whisper in the bathroom or in a corner, making sure there were no microphones around and saying, thank you. Thank you for standing up and for saying what I can't say. Please don't go quiet. Don't go silent again. And so that's what pulled me through. Those people, my very small circle of friends who I now know are real friends, my family and God. Uh, we pulled up the prayer. This is actually the second time I've read this prayer on the air because we had Father Mike on of the Bible in mm-hmm. a year. And I was telling him that we, we say it at my church in Connecticut and it and it goes as follows. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him. We humbly pray and do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast mm-hmm. into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. That That's a great reminder of the stakes of the battle you were in. And ultimately, Sage, you did win. You were protected. You set, They settled the case this week. They did not take it to trial. They couldn't. There is a special law in Connecticut. Hello, Keith Olbermann that gives uh, employees the right to speak their minds while not in the workplace on their opinions and to not to have the right not to be fired for it. And ESPN should know that since they're in Connecticut. I have to pause and note the irony of Disney. This is the company that you're doing battle with Disney, who right now is doing battle with Ron DeSantis in Florida, claiming it is wrong to have Ron DeSantis, the government, retaliate against a private company for exercising its free speech rights, that it's wrong to retaliate against someone for exercising their free speech rights. That's Disney's position in that lawsuit. In your lawsuit, it was a very different situation. They were the ones doing the retaliating and they were less of the free speech champions. They would have the rest of us believe they are, Sage. I mean, this this is not a point that could have been lost on you. No, not at all, especially as a part-time resident of the state of Florida. Um, and I, uh, you know, there was a, an article written in, in Variety that I was, I was just so pleasantly surprised, I guess, that the, the writer is very well respected. But I think I'm just uh, surprised in general because with the press and how it has worked with my situation since it all went down, there's very few people who really go through all the facts and then write a story based on facts, God forbid. And that writing article did just that and pointed out that hypocrisy. And um, yeah, you know how you're, you're an attorney, you know, I can't say too much, but I, that was not lost on me. And again, I, I've just been, I'm just sad uh, because it didn't have to be this way. You know, if we just have rules that are consistent, regardless of the person, regardless of their opinions or what they say, then we don't have an issue here. It's it's well, that's why you're lucky you live in Connecticut. That's why you look because Connecticut gives an additional layer of protection for employees saying that an employer may not fire or suspend or discipline an employee for exercising her free speech rights when it doesn't happen at the office, basically, when she's out on her own offering her opinion. Thank God. Thank God you live in Connecticut. 
And that's why that's one of the chief reasons why you were able to claim that this was being done to you very wrongfully. All the states need this. There should be an extra layer, especially in today's cancel culture world of protection for people who want to speak their minds. I have been in Connecticut since 2007. This situation is the first time I've ever said, thank God I live in Connecticut. (laughs) (laughs) No offense, but I'm a wimp and I like warm weather and sunshine and lower taxes. So um, that's why, hence Florida, here I come at some point, not not in the very near future. I still have one daughter, it's a senior in high school and she's the priority. Um, But I I, I learned a lot. I, I could never, even if I wanted to be an attorney, it could never have it would have been a waste of everyone's time for me to try to go to law school. So I there, thank God for people like you and Brian Friedman who understand all that stuff. Um, when when I found out about that, it was certainly like, oh, okay. Um, I just I just get ugh, tight almost thinking about having to make the decision in the first place. Um, mm. But I do believe it's all for a reason, Megan. And I know people are like, ah, you hate people hate it when you say that. But for me, I just I haven't. I haven't questioned that much aside from the initial drama where it's like, wait, you're doing what? You're taking me off the air. Like what? Um, I've just had to rely. Like if we preach about having faith, like these are the ultimate tests. And that is to continue to take that step forward, even though you might not know where that road's going to lead. And I have no idea. I didn't know where it was going to lead with the lawsuit. I had no clue. It's very scary. it's hard enough to find a TV job, never mind as a 50 year old woman in te- television. I mean, usually at this point in our lives, they're putting us out to pasture in this industry <laughs> and right. And they like they, never to be seen again. So that's not going to happen to you. It didn't happen to me. I will make sure it doesn't happen to you. Um, but that's I'm sure ESPN would love to see that. They would love to see you exit stage left, never to be seen again. And they would love for you to continue being silenced and not using your free speech rights. So. I mean, how now that it's done, are you, by the way, how are you able to talk about it? Or did they not make you sign a non-disclosure, non-disparagement? Yeah, I can't. I can't. I mean, I'm doing what I'm allowed to do, you know. Okay. Um, okay. But you're saying I'm, as much as you're allowed. Sure. Yes. <laughs> um. They're not going to sue you. Let's be real. It's like, good, good luck. They don't want to do yeah, Brian I, anymore. I, Right. Brian, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a very busy man these days. Um, you know, I think I'll, I'll say this too. I just, I, what I hope comes from it is, you know, and maybe a smaller level, like, again, I just wanted people to own the rules, you know, and yeah. it's like any form of parenting. If you're not consistent with it, then you, your kids aren't going to comply. Like I, I really thought I was complying, and apparently, well, um, I was. That's what well, I heard. Did you ever hear the saying, "What you permit, you promote"? Yes. And, you know, they they permitted. I'm just. I'll just call out a couple. Uh, fellow Sports Center anchor Nicole Briscoe to pile on you. Uh, she retweeted a post from someone who said that they hoped ESPN would no longer use you to cover women's sporting events, and she retweeted it saying, "Amen." Even if it gets me in trouble, amen. Screw you, Nicole Briscoe. Then there was Ryan Clark, uh, ESPN NFL analyst who refused to appear on the air with you because of those comments to Jay Cutler asking ESPN to replace you with your co-host for the segment. That was a bridge too far even for ESPN. And then the guy said, I'm not doing the show. And ESPN 
did not impose any penalty on him whatsoever. Just fine. Kick her when she's down. Go for it. Uh, it'll be fun. So those people deserve to be called out, even though you say, as there was at Fox, there's a pretty strong no shooting inside the tent rule. And if you do, it'll be called out and punished internally. Exactly. And and then when I brought it up, it was like, oh, we'll we'll, we'll take care of it. And then, you know, that tweet remained on her account for months. Um, mm. So it's just, again, it's just about being consistent. And I, I will say this too. I think one of the more disappointing um, things in general with anybody um, is you can take a snippet from, you know, an 18 second clip that was being circled around with, with in particular the Obama comments, or you can take a headline off of any website or a, a, any tweet and you can go with that and be like, oh my gosh, what did she say? Uh, done, cancel out. Or you can actually listen and listen for the full context. And like I said earlier, you're the first person to show the full context of the Obama comments because it was something that Barbara Walters brought up to me. And there are um, many people within the building, including decision makers at the highest levels, who admitted to me that they did not listen to right. the podcast. They and I think Twitter that, drive their opinion. That broke me too, because I'm like, just listen and then let's talk. Because you know me as a person for, I, 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 as I leave the company, 16 and a half years, I was there. Well, that may um, have been part of the problem. That, that may have been part of the problem, Sage, because I know the, earlier you had spoken out about some of the protests against the anthem, you know, the kneeling, and uh -huh. you didn't like it. And of course, now we know why you didn't like it. You're, you know, you're a loving, patriotic American who's the daughter of a colonel in the army, and you didn't like the kneeling. Neither did I. Neither did half of America. But there was blowback on you back then. So I, them knowing you, may have been part of the problem, right? Like they you'd already declared yourself as, you know, not on board with their politics. True, true. But they knew it. And again, though, I it's wait, diversity, right? To me, it begins and ends with diversity of thought. And I don't want to hear you talking about any other kind of diversity in D and D E I. Now corporately it's D E I and new initials and plus signs, just like LGBTQIA plus XYZ. I cannot keep up. But don't talk to me about the DEI stuff if you're not going to begin with diversity of thought. Um, it's where it begins and ends. So yeah, um I thought that lie. that's well, it, it is a lie. It's it's corporate BS. Um, and people just trying to cover their butt. I actually believe that there's Mo several people I and mean, millions of people throughout corporate America and in any industry who actually don't agree with this stuff, don't agree with what's going on with, with, you know, the, the trans athletes right now, they don't agree with it, but they're doing it out of fear. And, um, again, I call BS on it. Like if you are a true leader lead, but does that's one thing. ESPN call any of that out? Like the trans stuff, the guys participating in women's sports, does anybody at ESPN take a stand on that? I have been saying since the like the Leah Thomas thing came out last year, I was like, we need to be doing this story. We need to be doing this story. We need to do the story. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. Um, so listen, at some point, what I've really had to learn is to pick and choose my battles. Obviously, I've picked some big ones, okay? But there's others where journalistically, we are what we are. And there's certain things that I know that we're not going to... Um, report or or maybe report the way that I would want, which I 
you know, I, I, both sides, like, I think that that's crucial. I don't care what the topic, I don't care if it's just post game. You know, so crazy about that. Cause like you, you, most of the people over there, as far as, and as you know, I only like skim past ESPN on my way to like Bravo. Um, but the, most of the guys over, it's like these big guys who were athletes and the NFL or the NBA, they know damn well that men should not be participating in women's sports. They know it. They've got to be on our side. Of course they know. And especially because so many of them have children, have daughters who are in those arenas, on those courts, on those fields. And I know damn well, and I'm not going to name names, but they know who they are. There's no way they would allow their daughters to be on a field with boys, especially as you get older, as you're a teenager. Are you kidding me? And everyone, everyone knows it. But that's kind of the part that does make me rage a little bit. Because again, all of these women who... You, you played the clip earlier and, and, and standing up for women and like the ESPNW stuff, all of it, all these women who are pushing us, but then are silent with this issue. This isn't even controversial. This is stupid that it's even a topic with trans biological men trying to play sports with women. You talk about science. Gosh, that's I've gotten so sick of that science word over the last couple of years with the pandemic. And now we're going to ignore it. I'm done. Like it, it is a load of crap. And, and, and honestly, I don't even talk about it as much now because it's just comical to me. And to anyone who asks and goes on and on about it, I'm like, listen, if this were going both ways, we have a conversation. The fact that it's only going one way is proof. There are no women trying to go play in the NBA or the NFL or college football, other, aside from a kicker here or there, which is beautiful to see. That's a different position. Football players do a crown and are like, okay, there's football players and then there's kickers. And you know what? I love seeing women <laughs> out there doing that. That is different from lacrosse, from anything. And you know what? Let's continue to celebrate us, not go backwards, which is exactly what we're doing. I don't know why the entire media course, sports media, is silent about this. And I knew when you, when you I, exactly sports media, I think has a special obligation. It's one thing for absolutely. you know me as a news anchor to speak out, but it's the sports anchors. I've seen you and Sam Ponder over at ESPN on Twitter speaking out for women. And that's all I've seen. I, right. don't, I haven't seen any of these other folks at, at ESPN say any. it's like this is your lane. And I respect Joe Rogan for saying, you know, because he's MMA, like he's big into the fighting world. And he's been saying. Now you're in my lane, like now that you want a dude to come over and like f fight against women or whatever. Now you're in my lane and I'm going to speak out about it. That's how the ESPN anchors should see this, too. The fact that they're all silent disgusts me, especially because of how vocal they were about, let's say, the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Right. And, and and women's rights. And they were we I mean, hello, there were people on our airwaves talking about that. This is and this this is just this isn't even controversial. This is science. And from, from the and beginning. Sports. Time, Abortion is not sports. <laughs> thank you. That's what I mean. Like, there's just so much that doesn't make sense. Um, so, the, you know, again, I'll, I'll say this. Um, you know, I began speaking out about the trans thing probably, you know, on, on Twitter, social media with the Riley Gaines thing. And I've become friends with Riley. And what a special, strong, brilliant young woman. Like, wow. Right. Yes. I mean, yes. what is she, 20? 324. Hello, me at 2324. Yes. No, we can never be able to do it. Um, but I knew that when I did it the first time, I knew, I knew that that it was going to get ugly. And I, but I was willing to die on that hill. I mean, hell, I'd already been canceled 64 times. It's fine, right? Right. 
(laughs) Because it matters. My girls are older now. They're not playing competitive sports in high school or college. Um, But I have a a 13-year-old niece who's who's in softball um, and volleyball. And you know all about volleyball and stuff that's gone quite public about it. I am not, she's in Baltimore. I will walk my butt down there and go into school board meetings or whatever it is, all the travel teams and coaches, and, and if that is ever an issue, and more importantly, her parents will. Um, but I feel obligated with my platform, whatever that looks like right now, but as a sportscaster for 28 years to talk about this openly and stop ignoring it. I So I knew it would be controversial. Sam and I have been friends for years um, you know, we talked before she decided to go public with it a couple months later too. And she's brilliant, by the way, you would love her. And she's, she's so great. She's incredible. Her. She's literally brilliant and passionate and a strong woman of faith. And, and just, she's incredible. And we're, we're sad. We're like, where is everybody, all these women that, that are supposed to be so supportive of, of other women in this case? Yes. I, where's the cavalry? Where are they? Yeah. Where are they? The thing I'll say is I understand why people, Listen, I am like a poster child for why people stay silent. And I get that fear. But this is the one issue, one of very few, I guess, that are relevant today, that I feel like if we came together as women, just in the media, just sports broadcasters, female, this would go away. Like Mm -hmm. we are giving away our power with it. And to me, I'm like, we are going to regret this. All I know is, is, is I'm trying and Sam's trying, and a couple You'll of other be able people to say are. you did your part. You will, and We're and these trying, others won't. And it's shameful. You have a daughter. No, I, my, she- so my daughter's twelve. If she shows up at a soccer game and there is a boy on the other team, we're out of there. There's out. zero chance I will let her play. I don't care who I offend. I mean, I think I've made that clear, but um, we, there's no way. And I recommend other parents do the same thing because your kid actually could get hurt. By the way, yeah. my uh, star producers they did cut. Um, the ESPN anchors L. Duncan and Malika Andrews talking about Roe versus Wade. Here it is. Literally any content with a girl in it, girl dad. But strip girls of their constitutional rights, silence. The Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade, declaring that the constitutional right to abortion, upheld for nearly a half century, no longer exists. In less than 24 hours, We celebrated equal rights for women, and now we react to women's reproductive rights being taken away. Oh, my God, she's holding back tears. Where's her tearful diatribe for my daughter and and the daughters of America right now who are getting hurt when playing against biological boys? Why are they crying about abortion on the set at ESPN, Sage? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know, right. but I mean it. I feel like if we only came together on this, we could end it. We are so powerful when we want to be, and we're choosing the wrong time to be silent. No, instead we see this person who is it, Andre, Anne, uh, Anne Andre, forty-year-old biological male, um, who just—you <laughs> gotta laugh because it's comical. Who just won in Canada the women's. Uh, it's called the Western Canadian Championship, uh, where she, he lifted 400 pounds more than the actual woman who came in second, who's secretly the champion, because this is a man who won the woman's event. So they won. Th- look at this. This is a 400 pound addition to what any woman out there was able to do. Why? Because it's a man. It's a biological man. Uh, and oh, you'll be super 
thrilled to learn that Anne Andre set a new Canadian women's national record. They're giving I... this guy the women's record. And guess what? Anne isn't sorry at all. This is Anne responding to some of the backlash against him for stealing our title. I think it's, uh, well, it's either six or seven. Yeah, go ahead. Quick little note. Uh, there's a whole bunch of people going, oh, well, you got 200 kilograms against your nearest competitor. Well, like, yeah, because I'm in here training five days a week for three hours a day on average. And my next closest competitor doesn't because she has a life. Anyways, shockingly, if you look at, say, Brit and Mac, who are both insanely better than me, they also dramatically outdistance me because their training is better. It's almost as if people have different aptitudes, abilities, and dedications. Maybe that matters. Whatever. Okay, first of all, oh, Anne, I hadn't that is, seen that. Oh. Right? And that is not a flattering angle. Just going to tell you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Keep it tucked. Keep it tight, please. <laughs> you don't need a full body shot, Anne. No one wants Ugh. to see that. <laughs> oh, no. And we have to. It's laugh or cry, Sage. This is what our girls are up against. Did you see what Dave Chappelle said? In his comedy routine? Yeah. One of, I mean, hello. I think he's hysterical. Um, but but by the way, how you saw Megan Rapino looping me and David Chappelle and Martina Navratilova into because our stance on preserving women's oh. sports is, is, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. is inciting violence in the trans community. That was that was cute, Megan. Um, yeah, and I know how cute. much you love her. Um, but when Dave Chappelle came on, this is a long time ago, and he's like, okay, let's just flip this then. When LeBron James says, I'm a woman today, and I'm gonna go play in the WNBA where he's going to proceed to score 856 points a night. Is that going to be okay with you ladies? Like, what's right. the line here? And when is enough enough? Right. No, we need, I've been saying this for a while, and I really believe it. You're, you're the sports person. We need a man to go into women's professional tennis. That's oh. where the women become superstars and millionaires. And we celebrate the ladies, you know, from Serena Williams to uh, Naomi Osaka to Coco Goff. Let's let those ladies who are like the creme de la creme in the tennis world start losing to dudes. And then let's force the wokesters to really that's where, you know, the what is the rubber hits the road. Let's see who they choose. Is it going to be the women who have their own space or is it going to be the men who you've been propping up because they call themselves women, even though they're not? You know what this is exactly like? And this just hit me. It's all the people who are fine with open borders. Fine. Let everybody come in until I bust them up to Martha's Vineyard. And then uh, 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 like, <laughs> can't have it both ways, guys. No. <laughs> Cannot have it. I love that the Martha's Vineyards residents were like, they're doing wonderfully. It worked out brilliantly. Like, oh, great. We, you know how many bus loads we have for you? That's I'm so happy you're happy. This is perfect. We found their new home. It, everybody yeah. wins. Um, I can't. Wait, I've got to backtrack because if I don't ask you about Barbara Walters, she attacks you. What do you wait? What? <laughs> what happened? What? 
was right after that segment with the the Obama segment and um, went in the back. And so they used to, I don't know, I have not and will not watch that ever again. It's been years since I was last on, the last time I watched it. And so Sherry and Jenny went on to do the next segment. And so it was Barbara, Whoopi and myself in the dark green room off the side. I know you've been there. And um, I was just standing there and I was getting a little cup of water and it was, I was probably about four feet from the wall in the trash can and Barbara was standing over here in front of me and she just started to back up towards me and looked at me and got close and elbowed me oh and it pushed me back into the wall in the trash can. I was like, I won't tell you what I said actually, because <laughs> I'm trying, you know, I have the sign that says, I love Jesus, but I cuss sometimes. And I do cuss sometimes and I really love Jesus. I'm trying not to do it today because I know my mom's going to watch this. But I was like, what did this just do to me? Like this 140 year old woman just tried to like tackle me. Like what am I, what is, ha what is happening right now? And the, some of the producers saw it, Whoopi saw it. And Whoopi was like, come here. And she was great. And she pulled me aside in her little area. And she's like, don't you let her do it. And I'm like, am I in a movie right now? A legend, the, one of the, the, the legends in this industry just tried to beat me up. Like, what is happening because of my, am I biracial? I was like, I need a camera right now because no one will believe that Barbara Walters went like that. And I can't, I can't make it up. Oh my God. It, it hit me. Like it made contact. <laughs> she, she didn't say like, oh, excuse me. That was by accident. Oh, she glared at me. Unbelievable. And yet totally awesome. believable. Yet totally believable. You know, I, I, she had the daughter. She adopted the daughter. According to her own memoir, she proceeded to then ignore the daughter for the daughter's entire life and thought that she was a good mother because she sat the daughter in front of the TV camera lens when she was in Cuba with Castro and elsewhere and kind of then couldn't understand why the daughter kept having behavioral problems. It's like, well, there's, there's no mother. There's no, there are parents. We, the children need to parents. Um, and that is a struggle. Like I know, you know, you, you mentioned your three children. I've got three children too. I can I just ask you about something that's been on my mind lately? Because I people can hear you're not some like I am feminist, hear me roar. But yet you are the primary wage earner, the only wage earner. And but I am kind of disturbed at the amount of like weird comments we're getting now on the the right about how it's like women need to go back home and and be in the kitchen. Like women need to understand the only thing that's really going to make a man happy is to have a woman at home taking care of him in the bedroom, in the kitchen, fulfilling sort of more traditional female roles. I, Sage, can I tell you, it's really like getting under my skin and like completely railing on feminism. And I understand where I don't call myself a feminist, but that's not to say that the feminist movement didn't make any real progress for women in creating professional pathways that you and I were able to take advantage of. Like, why why, why do we have to overcorrect everything? Right. It's like now we have to go back to shaming women who are in the professional world because somehow we're less than when it comes to our you know, it's like there's like the Barbara Walters. She went too far, I think, in abandoning those roles. But like you're an example of how it can be done. Your kids seem to be doing great. My kids are doing great. It's, I don't know. Just interested in your thoughts on it. Yeah, I, it, it's so, it is so disturbing. And I listen, I've I've struggled my entire um, since I became a mother in 2002, because family's everything. And I wanted to be there for everything. You don't want to miss anything for your kids. Right. But mm -hmm. I knew that 
with my husband having chosen to stay home with the kids um, for the first few years was was how it began. Um, like it was it was on me. And I, I was sad at times that I wasn't able to to fulfill some of those traditional roles that I really wanted to do while going off to be a professional and fulfill my dream. Because I believe we can do both. Hello, you and I have proven that we can do both. But sometimes the support or lack of came from other women. I remember one of my neighborhoods, we lived in another part of Connecticut. Um, I was one of like three working moms in probably a neighborhood of like 150 homes. And one of the women in the neighborhood was the president of the PTO for the local elementary school. And um, she wrote an email and you know, the whole thing of meant to send it to one person, but send it to the whole neighborhood and mm. talked about, you know, if those working moms, the three of us really, really cared about their kids, they would be there for the Christmas play, the holiday play. Oh, wow. oh. Um, and I remember being like devastated because I was already judging myself enough as of a young course. Mom to have course. another woman do that. And then other women piling on. And so I, I'm very sensitive to it and very sensitive to that draw and that pull, but you have proven better than anyone that I know. And I haven't met your husband or your kids or been to your home, but like you, you, you've made it very clear your priorities. And oh, by the way, how supportive you are of your husband, right? And his career and what he has done in the past and currently, I just think both can exist. Why do we have to choose? Why, why does it have to be one or the other? Like I plan to continue my career, this is my dream as a little girl. And one way or another, I'm going to, I'm going to keep this going. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm going to do it. And I also, you know, hope to once again, find true love and be very supportive of a man. And I would love yes. to make dinner for him when I can. And if I, if he needs me to pick up something, I want to do it because guess what? I'm not going to settle for a man who's not going to do the same damn thing for me. Like, right. I just think both can exist. And why we're doing this is very confusing. N none of this crap makes sense anymore. Sometimes it feels like it's Twilight Zone. No, see, this is, I so identify with everything you said. And this is one of the reasons I think that we were drawn to each other right from the get-go is you don't, like, you don't have to be one of these crazy feminists like the Snow White actress who's like, there will be no prince. We're abandoning uh. the true love story. It's all about leadership. You don't have to go that far and you don't have to go over the other way where it's like you're Barbara Walters and you ignore your child her whole life. Like there, it, there are millions of us who have chosen a hybrid model and it it's working. You know, it's like where we're like we're managing to be good moms and yet pursue careers without judging the people who choose, you know, to yes. be stay at home moms or without who, who choose not to be moms at all. Like you, the extremes online try to shame both sides. And I just think it's bullshit. If you want to be a stay at home mom, that's awesome. You should lean into it. You should love it. If you want to be a stay at home wife, lean into it and love it. It sounds as many times I look at that and I think, I think I made the wrong life cho choices. <laughs> it looks damn good. Right. I know. The same is also true for the women who decide to prioritize their careers and crush it. Now, if you have children, you do have to take care of them. You know, Dr. Laura is right about yeah. that. Like, you can't just then abandon your child to like all caregivers all the time. But I just, I think it's important to remind young women today there are millions of us who have chosen a hybrid and you can make it work. You absolutely can. And you are proof of that. And I think that it's actually beautiful because your kids and my kids have obviously witnessed it too. Like you're teaching them so much by 
going out there and being the best in this industry at what you do, period, for decades on many different levels and platforms. Like Megan Kelly is, there's nobody else, right? Who is you and can't even, as we say in sports, I can't even hold my jock. Like you, no one can touch you. Sorry, that's vulgar. Um, you're doing that and they're seeing this, a strong, badass woman who's fulfilling her dream while then coming home and not just taking care of them, but being loving to her husband as well. So you are giving your kids, I think, with kids a decade plus older than yours, priceless lessons and that all can exist and you don't have to choose. If you want to choose one, fine. I, I would hope to your point that you're not saying, okay, nice to meet you kiddos. I'm going off to work for the next decade. Good luck. Mm, like, right. but, but they're seeing strength in us and they're seeing empathy in us and um, I think some of those traditional roles are very important to uphold, at least in my home. Um, not old school, like, you know, with an apron on every day and wearing it like, no, come on, let's be realistic. That's not what hopefully most of them are encouraging. But to show them both is a blessing. And I know that I'm raising really strong girls and a really strong son, too, because that story you told about him pulling you aside is amazing. Men. What's that? That story you told about your son pulling you aside, saying it's about damn time you started taking care of yourself. Oh, you did something right there. It, it, we, well, we question every day, right? And I have two in college. Um, by the way, they're at High Point University in North Carolina, which is incredible and very patriotic and never once forced a mandate. One of the few universities that never forced a mandate gave us parents choices. They're together. They're, my kids are like best friends, boy, girl. They're, they're, they're taking care of an incredible university. And then my daughter here. And let me tell you, every day, and you know, I, I feel like, okay, I have screwed this up. I screwed that up. Uh, I'm sorry. You, I apologize to my kids. I discipline my kids, but I'm still asking questions every day. And it's the hardest job ever, but it's the yep. most important obviously job ever. And you never and I, get, you never get the, the grade, you know, you don't get like the A plus delivered to you. I mean, I, I would say like, if you're the Menendez family, it's the ultimate F in parenting when your kids <laughs> actually wind up murdering you. That's an F. Um, but it's <laughs> our dark, dark place humor. <laughs> but it didn't work out so us, well. Yeah. The rest of us had to kind of wonder like, oh, so am I doing damage right but now? But I will Probably. say this, my kids, there are pains in the ass sometimes. And recently I'm in, we're in Greece. I'm like, what did you just say to me? We're in Greece. Shut it. Like, just be grateful, you know? And I always say, and I mock it and I kid, but sometimes I don't. I'm like, listen to me. When I'm dead, you're going to realize how cool I was. So just back <laughs> off. <Remember. laughs> that's good. That's really dropping it on them. I always say to my kids, like, whenever they say something that's not grateful, you know, like I'll, whatever, I'll have made a dinner, which I feel is a true gift if, if I really work on it because I hate doing it. I'm not good at it. Um, and then they don't usually complain. But if they offer a complaint, I would say I say this every time. I think the words you're looking for are and they know to now fill in. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's all. That's all it takes. <laughs> I think the words you're looking for are and they do it. Um, OK, now, wait, I wanted to ask another question about this whole saga. Did Jay Cutler ever talk to you? Have you ever rounded back with him? They ran like the wind. <laughs> no, I thought that was going to land differently. Yeah. At first, at first we started to get these emails like, hey, would you sign this real quick? Like they oh. were afraid that I was going to sue them. And I was like, number one, I'm not signing anything. Stop it. Number two, I own everything I said. It's okay. 
it's okay. Don't worry. This is Jay Cutler. Hey, for a quarterback, not bad interviewing skills. You know, he asked yeah. the right question. Made some news. His, yeah, his research, by the way, his podcast is long gone. I don't know if I scared him or if the ratings just went south after I blew it all up, <laughs> but he's, he's not podcasting anymore. I think he's out hunting somewhere in Tennessee. Um, I, I, I just, they were he afraid. He never called you? Bathroom. No. He never no, no, no. reached out to you? The funny, no, 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 no. I um, No, no, he did. He did. He, I'm sorry. Let me take that back. He did on social media. He DM'd me once and he's like, this is BS. You know, it's just ridiculous. And then he retweeted something and it BS out. We never had a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Okay. Um, I did finally meet him last June at a NASCAR event in Nashville. And I was like, went up to him, I'm like, Jay Cutler, great to meet you. Oh my, gosh. <laughs> my life has oh. changed a lot. But this is 100% not on Jay. He, he I'm, I'm glad that I remembered. He did, he did reach out. It was never um, too in depth because I think that they probably were just like, stay away from her, you know? Um, yeah. and, it's and he's in the sports okay. world, right? He's in the sports world, which means like that it's, it's, I can relate to this in a way because it's like, if, if Fox news turns on you in my field, like then conservatives are wondering whether you're toxic or you're somebody they can talk to or, or Trump, uh, Trump that, you know, I went <laughs> through that too. And then, so I can see like, if you're taking on ESPN, everybody who's beholden to ESPN has to wonder whether you're an okay person to talk to. That's oh, all it's happened. water under the bridge. It's happened. What? Oh, I it mean, is obviously still. Not, yeah, obviously not just from, uh, you know, one of my peers who chose not to come on the air with me, but um, no, it happened when I was doing a streaming show and a, 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 something else with ESPN. And there were people who I had been friends with who just wouldn't really answer a request. Um, and, I, and again, I try to put myself in their shoes. I try to put myself in everybody's shoes, Megan. And I don't. I say you're, you're bad people. I, I mean, I, I, I do like, I, I, I feel that way. I'm more hurt by it because they know my character and, and, and are now running away. And it's like, oh gosh. And there are some, okay. So they know, but they know your character, but you didn't know their character, but now you do. That's why I'm grateful for this. And I literally yes. wouldn't change anything because so many people have shown their true colors and some of them aren't negative. Some of them just can't handle it and can't handle being around people who are stronger. Um, a lot of the women that I work with, it's like, I know I should say, well, you know, and tell Sage this and that it's like, it, it's, it's, it's just okay. My circle is, is tight and small and I'm so freaking grateful for them. And I'm grateful that this has forced me to really learn about myself and that I'm a hell of a lot stronger than I thought. Um, the stab wounds in my back are so deep, like, and I've been canceled. I don't know how many times, but somehow I'm still here and I'm still standing. And I just truly think that there's so many positives that have come from this. Honestly, like it's been brutal. And I've been, I have been devastated. De even the last couple of days, devastated, even though I knew it was coming because you put your life into things and then all of a sudden, bye. It's gone. But, but the I gained so much and I worked with so many great people and so many great experiences and um God put me here for a reason and we're gonna we're gonna see where that leads but I do believe that like whatever wherever I land next I just want to bring people together and like have tough conversations and have discussions and quit being hypocritical because now I'm gonna I'm gonna be able to call you on it not in like a mean way but like no you can't say that and then do this 
Um, it's just, it's, it's overdue. And so I have nothing to lose now. What the hell? Let's go. Yes, 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 yes. So is there anything in particular, like perhaps a podcast, a digital show could be in your future? Uh, I feel like that would go very well for you. Or do you, because it's, there's risks in going back to work for the man. Oh, you've talked about that publicly. Um, and I guess on your show, and I, I've talked to a lot of people who have said that, like all I've ever done since I was 15 years old at Dairy Queen in Colorado Springs, Colorado is work for someone else. And I've had gotten so many great gifts from it. I've never had to rely on just myself the past couple of mm -hmm. years. Yes. I got a paycheck for sure. A nice paycheck. I'm so blessed in that way, but I've never had to do just me. It's scary, but I've pushed through enough scary things the past few years, personally and professionally that I, I believe I can do it. I want, I want to try, but yes, I but I don't know about you and I'd love to ask you whether it's here or later, but you do have to have someone take a chance on you as well, again, to give you the opportunity to do something and to create something. And I'm used to, I'm used to kind of having to live in a box and I execute orders very well. I'm really good at executing. Mm -hmm. What if I create them? I've just never had that opportunity. So I, okay, I'd love so to your try, dad's a I colonel. I know hmm. they, they call your mom the general. You've got this in your blood like this. You can do this. And honestly, I I am there to help you with all of it. I would love, love, love to help you in your next chapter. But I have a prediction, Sage. I think two years from now, we're going to be sitting here. What is today? August 17th. We're going to be sitting yeah. here. You're going to have a very successful independent show. That's my prediction. And I also think you're going to have a new man. You're going to have love in your life because once you sort of scrape off some of the barnacles, get rid of some of like the stuff that's been dragging you down, you that new skin, you take you back to the sage steel who marketed the lotions at night. <laughs> you get that new skin after the exfoliation and the glow is there and it attracts all good things in every area of your life. I mean, you know how many red blooded American men out there are like, how about me? How about me? Like no, you're a free agent more one. ways than one. Thank you. No, and thank you so much for for what you just said about the show in the future. And I pray that you're right. I, I do think this, that not, not all men can handle women like us. True, true. But and good that's ones. what I'm really learning. And you have to have a strong, confident alpha male, at least that's what I want, who, yeah. who can handle us and uplift us. And say, you go, girl, I got your back. And if anyone messes with you, I will cut them. If, if not something much worse, go for it. But also check me when I need to be checked. But love me for me and my crazy and my emotions and for my awesome children and for Megan Kelly. And, your, and, and, and that's what Doug is to you and your firepower and everything else. And he would, I guarantee he wouldn't change a thing, right? Um, I just, we need to, whether it's professionally or personally, surround ourselves with the right people who believe in us and love us for who we are. And you're right. I think once we get there in all aspects, like, man, the chains are off and watch out. And I think that's the exciting thing. Despite my age, I'll be 51 in November. I feel like not only am I really immature and like, okay, I'm a child, let's go. But I also feel like tons of energy and a new beginning and no fear, even though I have no clue 
what life looks like an hour from now. Sage Steele, who chose a harder right instead of an mm -hmm. easier wrong. I'm honored to call you a friend. All the best to you. Megan, can I just send you a hug through this screen? I am so grateful for you and for allowing me to speak for the first time ever as myself. So I love you. Thank you. I love you too. I'm honored you sat with me. All the best to be continued. Oh my God, you're welcome. She's amazing. I'm so happy to bring you that conversation. I know you're loving it as much as I loved it and would love your feedback on it too. You can always email me, Megan at MeganKelly.com. We're going to be back uh, on Monday. In the meantime, have a great, great weekend. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. 